0: Yeah, that's the other point he made: is it takes a while to learn an army. So if you're swapping back and forth, you've got a problem. I'm like, Mm -hmm. "Mm, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, No, that (laughs) that, that hit
1: that hit for me too. When I when I read that, (laughs) like, you're not wrong. Calling me out there, buddy.
2: Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40K podcast that has just too much to juggle right now. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin, Dennis, and Richard. And all four of us are back together. We've got Kevin's technical issues worked out. Dennis has a new microphone. We are all Do I good. sound better. You you sound great. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and uh in this episode, we are not for for once now, we are not going to be talking about a codex. <laughs> We'll be talking about all the codexes, but we won't. There's still more that we haven't covered. I know. I know there's still more and Mm -hmm. and more yet to talk about that we can't talk about. But in the meantime, uh, we're going to be talking today about uh, whether or not Warhammer 40k has become... Uh, too complex, too too complicated to properly handle. Uh, but before we get to that topic, as always, news, new releases, and your listener mail. And uh, actually, one of the things that kind of kicked off this topic was probably the biggest piece of news, <laughs> and that was something that was dropped. Uh, We mentioned this, I think, last episode that they had said they were going to do this. And that was a new uh, balance data slate, uh, specifically in response to the current state of balance in matched play. Because obviously after Adepticon and the Harlequins kind of won all the things, uh, there was a a need for a response and a quick response at that. However, I think this response was way bigger in multiple directions than anyone really expected. There's a lot more that changed here than I think we thought was going to change. And strangely enough, the things that I felt needed to change didn't really get changed, which is funny. But... (laughs) cause like we had talked about like well how do you fix void weavers? Well make them one off instead of one to 3 and make them not eligible for light sadaths you know hard to hit bonuses and they didn't touch that at all not a bit but they did give it uh they did give them significant point increases but they also touched a lot of other things so for example just running down the list Armor – and I'm just going to hit the new items because some of the – like, they carried over some other things like the aircraft being limited to, you know, only Mm -hmm. so many models based on game size, um, existing orc changes to, like, buggies, existing Chaos Space Marine changes for changing Death of the False Emperor – um, the night changes to give them uh, m- counting as more models based on how they- big they were were not in the first release of this, but they added it back in because they're like, well, these codexes are coming soon, so we don't want to have any updates in here. And then people realize, oh yeah, but that means until these new books come out, these factions suck again. And so they're like, oh no, wait, wait, we should put those back. And so they did. Oh, no,
3: we suck to their, again. Credit-
2: <laughs> <laughs> to their credit, they they did put them back. Um, so let's, let's just take this from the top. Uh, first off, armor of contempt. Each time an attack is allocated to an Adeptus Astartes, Sanctic Astartes, Heretic Astartes, or Adeptus Sororitas model, worsen the armor penetration characteristic of that attack by one. This does not apply to any of the following models equipped with a Storm Shield, Relic Shield, or Combat Shield, models with either the Sacroscent Shield or Force Shielding ability, and models that are under the effects of any other rule that worsen or reduce the armor penetration characteristic of an attack. So if you already had an ability that... reduces the ap of something this will not stack that your your specific rule will take precedence over armor of contempt but this is also not limited to infantry or only units with a certain save this is everything in those factions everything with those keywords and that does include death guard and Thousand Sons Marines models because they do have the Heretic Astartes keyword is in addition to their, like, I think it's bubonic Astartes for Mm -hmm. Death Guard. But this still does apply to all of them. So, for example, not that they have much armor, but uh, Sisters Repentia for Adeptus Sororitas now take attacks at minus one AP, even though they're not technically wearing power armor anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, All your tanks, all your vehicles are at, you know, Take attacks at minus one AP. This is a big shift to their survivability. Yeah, definitely. Like that's yeah, this is a big change because obviously
1: those are the, you know, those are the biggest factions and some of the the largest model lines. I mean, that that that's probably what I'd say at least half of the armies or more than half.
2: Oh that, yeah, that get easily. This. <laughs> And as we've had more weapons with higher AP and more damage, you know, as as the lethality of the game has gone up, some of those factions have started falling by the wayside. And this is a way to kind of bring them back to the fore and give them the ability to hang, which is interesting because we started, like, starting, I think, with Drukari. I mean, technically, starting with, like, the changes to Heavy Bolters, where they were doing, like, two damage apiece, but really with, like, drukari is when we started seeing the change to, we're going to start having more weapons that do two wounds or more, because Marines are now tougher at two wounds each minimum, and so we need to have, like, everybody has to have their damage ramped up, and... That now it's like, well, we've gone too far and now we have to swing it back. But rather than lower everybody's damage output, we'll just make Marines and anything wearing power armor tougher. So it's a weird arms race that we're seeing here.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, To be fair, I I think we've seen the same arms race every edition. As the edition goes on and on, tweaks to the rules, try to balance them out. And it it does feel like things get escalated and and de-escalated just until there's another... Reset button. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Well,
1: I'm interested to see how long this because you're exactly right. The way this is worded, like it applies to everything with those keywords. So those tanks, bikes, everything. I I wonder how long that'll actually remain. And like if they get if they update this later to be like, nah, now it's just infantry or infantry and bike units or whatever, or, or specifically models wearing like power armor or something like that. Because I.
2: Yeah, that's a big change to like everything <laughs> in those factions. Um, one one uh big loser in this that has been pointed out is Necrons, because their Gauss weapons, their big thing was they were AP minus one, like their big core weapons were AP minus one. Of course, a lot of factions have core weapons that are AP minus one now, but like that was their thing when they dropped, and now it's just like, oh yeah, but Marines don't care. <laughs> so it's like, mm-hmm. oh, thank thanks for that.
0: Well, just update Necrons to be minus two. Yeah, then like suddenly just,
2: everybody they, cares. They didn't do that, unfortunately. the The next big change: indirect fire weapons. We are starting to see a lot of use, especially in the Tau army, with like uh, air, air bursting fragmentation projectors. You're seeing people taking suits with like three or four of those, if at all possible. Uh, smart missiles were being very useful. So anything that could fire without line of sight. Uh, has been updated uh, an indirect fire weapon so we've got co- something that's kind of a universal special rule but not really an indirect fire weapon is one that can target units that are not visible to the bear e.g. mortars, smart missile systems and paler cannons etc RIP Hiveguard again um, if such a weapon... I mean, they already took a beating in the Codex, as we mentioned last yep. episode. Uh, worse for them. If such a weapon targets a unit that is not visible, i.e. no models in the target unit are visible to the firing unit when you select it as a target, then each time an attack is made with that weapon against the target this phase, worsen the ballistic skill characteristic by the, of that attack by one, and add one to any armor-saving throws made against the attack... Unless you are guard, Astra militarum and indirect fire weapons are not affected by these rules. The, so guard mortars and basilisks are still great. Everybody else can can take a number and sit back down.
0: All right. Well, even here, I've seen a lot of Eldar players using like the um, shadow weavers, shroud weavers that. Mm-hmm. Um, just they don't have, I mean, that was the whole reason is I don't have to have line of sight. I can just fire it, whatever. And they were bemoaning that, um well, they're not as good anymore. Maybe I'll look at other things. But I understand. I, I kind of like the change because if you're hiding in a building, you've kind of got the wall to be extra armor for you. And I mean, it is harder to know what part of the building they're actually hiding in if you can't see them. So they should be harder to hit. So I'm okay yeah. with this. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it either. I think it, I think it definitely makes sense.
2: Oh yeah, yeah it's I, of, I'm I'm totally down with like, especially the ballistic skill change. That makes sense. Mm. It's
0: like you're firing blind. Yeah, you should. Yeah, you know, and, and then this opens back up a in design the day. Sp- oh, go ahead. Uh, back in the day, um, when we had scatter, if you didn't mm-hmm. have line of sight, you you had even more scattered. Well, yeah, I was I was gonna say that it's kind
1: of a it kind of harkens back to the old days of the the templates and scatter weapons. But But in a, like, better, like, easier to manage way, because I don't want to go back to the days of templates. That sucked.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It it did. Um, I do think this also opens up an interesting design space where you could have units that provide a spotter rule that could, like, Mm -hmm. add one to the ballistic skill of indirect fire. Like Like, pick a... Pick a unit from your faction within so many inches, and if you have line of sight to the target, then when next time that unit fires, they fire at plus one ballistic skill. Yeah. Do it as an action or something like that.
1: Yeah, I, right. I mean, yeah, that's,
0: that's I mean, Shr- shroud runners already kind of have that, except just for ranger sniper rifles, and they don't, they remove cover, which is kind of like removing armor in a way. So, yeah, I like the idea of um, spotters. It gives yeah, you I more th- th- interaction on the board, too, to push guys forward to kind of have that role.
2: Right. So, like, it, it, it changes up army construction. Like I said, opens up design space for having, having a new rule, maybe make a generic spotter rule. I know I'm mm-hmm. leaning too far into this, this
1: whole yes, idea. Yes, we're adding
0: special more special rules. Special. <laughs> well, like just a, a,
2: another universal
1: stratagem, you know, stratagem for that, like one CP and make it an, you know, make an, or an action or something. And yeah, then you can just slot it in and you don't have to add too much, you know, don't have to add too much and
2: many updates for, for a bunch of codexes. Right. Uh, next up, bodyguard abilities. This affects a wide number of units based on what the abilities say. Uh, change the end of all bodyguard abilities from enemy models slash units cannot target that character unit with range attacks to that character unit can use the lookout sir rule even if this unit contains fewer than three models. Uh, if this unit's bodyguard ability only affects a specific type of character, the update of the version still only applies to that type of character. And then they do list that uh, the following or, like, what the following bodyguard abilities are. This rule can also applies to following stratagems that confer a bodyguard ability to a unit, like the uh, Seer Council stratagem. They also point out that Hive Tyrants within range of the guardian organism ability... Uh, gain the benefits of Lookout, Sir, even though they are character units with a wounds characteristic greater than nine, so Hive Guard can still protect Hive Tyrants, and they did actually update this between the first and second version of this balanced data slate, because Hive Tyrants was originally not a keyword, it was the name of the unit, so they <laughs> right. did change it to a keyword so that winged Hive Tyrants and the Swarm Lord
0: can also benefit. I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, I, I kind of like it because it makes snipers more viable again, because their bodyguards were just filling up, so you just couldn't target anybody. But at the same time, I've liked using my bodyguards when people says, oh, well, you've just got there. I'm going to target them. I'm like, nope, I got my bodyguard. You can't. And they said, yeah, no look out, sir, just bodyguard. And so now this is saying, look out, sir, Trump's bodyguard.
2: Unless, well, Lookout Sir Trump's bodyguard, but bodyguards get to use Lookout Sir even if they're down to, like, a single model.
0: Yeah, but it's more fun to just say no.
3: <laughs> right. And, I mean, it's been a while. Um, the the Lookout, how's the Lookout Sir rule even work? It's been so long since I've played. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Lookout Sir in the
2: shooting phase. Make sure I've got this right. Models cannot target a unit that contain any character models with a wounds characteristic of nine or less with a ranged weapon while that unit is within three inches of any other friendly vehicle or monster unit or while it is within three inches of any other friendly units that have three or more models unless the character unit is both visible to the firing model and is the closest enemy unit to the firing model um, maelstrom of Battle makes it difficult to pick out such individuals. Ignore other character models with wounds characters of nine or less when determining if the target is the closest enemy unit to the firing model. So basically, the way bodyguards, like the way Lookout Sir works is. As long as the character is close to a, a either a large model or a unit that is big enough, you can't target the character unless the character's up front. If the character's up front and is closest, you can target them. Bodyguards said, no, you can't target the character at all, no matter what. Right. Okay. You can't snipe them. You like the care uh like, like if I remember right, Sacroscent Celeste. Like Sacrus and yeah. Celestians, for, uh, they, yeah. they had bodyguards, so you could have Mor- Morvin Vall running yeah. in front of them and keep them within three inches or so, and you couldn't target her with anything. And so.
0: It's nice. th- yeah,
2: and so now it's like, nope, if Morvan Vall's up front, Morvan Vall gets shot. <laughs>
0: I mean, I understand the change. I accept the change. I'm just sad about it because I was using it. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, Celestine and Morvin
2: Vol are both way more open to being to being shot at. It's like you have to – positioning becomes more important for them, which is good. Yeah. And it, it it allows for more interaction. I think that's the biggest thing is bodyguard ability shut down interaction, which is bad for the game. All right. Um Next change is, now we're getting to the more faction-specific stuff. Adeptus Sororitas changed the first bullet point in the gaining miracle dice section of Acts of Faith to read, at the start of each turn, you gain one miracle dice, instead of at the start of each round. So now you get two miracle dice per round, one per turn. And they made this change to make them keep up with uh, things like uh, strands of faith. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because they they had a much... uh, Strands of Fate was much more powerful than Miracle Dice. And now Miracle Dice can actually... They can actually keep up somewhat. Uh, The other thing is um, Stoic Endurance, Order of the Valorous Heart, which used to be reduce the AP of incoming attacks by one. That conviction is now... Each time an attack is made against a unit with this conviction, the attack's wound roll cannot be re-rolled. So uh, if somebody fails to wound a Valorous Heart sister... Too bad, no, no second chances. And we will also see this under uh, Space Marines for Salamanders, because they had a similar rule. And so now, rather than basically, well, you have Armor of Contempt now, too bad, this rule does nothing, they changed it to, wounds can't be re-rolled against you. Which is I th- which is a good way to model that, and makes those, those sub-factions actually a little bit stronger, like noticeably stronger.
0: Makes them doom-proof.
2: Yeah. Yep. Uh, let's see. And then a uh, couple changes for Astromilitarum. A number of these that are in here were already existing as far as like le- saves for Lehman Russes and tank orders abilities, regiment abilities. But there were two, like the first and last ones in that are listed are new. Add the following to the detachment abilities of the of an Astromilitarum detachment. Hammer of the Emperor. If every regiment unit in your army is drawn from the same regiment, then each time a regiment model from your army makes a ranged attack, unmodified hit rolls of six automatically wound. Note that units listed as advisors and auxilia, including Tempestus units, do not prevent other Astromilitarum units from your army from gaining this rule, but advisors and auxilia units, including Militarum Tempestus units, never benefit from this rule. Uh, which is unfortunate because Militarum Tempestus is technically treated as a regiment, but mm-hmm. if you take them, it does not apply to them. Even if you take an all-Tempestus army, it does not apply to them. But, uh yeah, guard flashlights can now wound anything if they hit on a six, which is
0: also a little scary. Isn't that yeah. what Necron guns used to do too? Uh
2: huh. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Necron the- Necrons are taking it in the pants in this one. Oh my one god, because-
0: I am feeling bad for Necrons.
2: Yeah, yeah. I I get the idea of the exploding
1: six, and I that's fine. But like I and granted, the internet's always a little hyperbolic and stuff. But like I've seen people like math out that like, oh well, now this means that if you take you know this many guardsmen, you can take down a warlord titan. And I'm like.
2: Well, that's always been a, a like a math yeah. hammering. How many how many guardsmen does it take to take down a
3: titan? Yeah, so and that doesn't like, surprise I, me.
1: Yeah, but like I don't know. The, Mr. The,
3: Al
0: says it's only three. I would <laughs>
3: right. It, it's like the Magic: The Gathering, like twelve s- squirrels killing uh, Emrakul. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: now it's
3: it. I could see this being very
1: powerful because again, with astromilitary, you can mass up flashlights very, very much. Granted there's still only AP zero, so you're getting all your armor saves and stuff, but yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I don't I want to see how that feels. That feels very um how that works out in practice. It feels very strong and like kind of game changing for them. And I, I want to see how that how that works out.
2: Yeah. I don't know if it alone will be enough to like really pull them up the charts, but it definitely helps them. Like it hopefully <laughs> they don't lose this when they get a new codex. It, w- it would well, seem would, weird to put this in and then take it away from them.
1: <laughs> I would think that they're, that it's going to be in the new codex, and that's why they're inserting it now. But on the flip side, we, there's things in, say, Chaos Space Marine codex that we know are coming that haven't been
2: inserted in the balance
1: data slates. So. This yeah.
2: is true. <laughs>
1: um,
2: the other change for guard, uh, change the points cost for an infantry squad unit as follows. Note that the cost of all this unit's war gear options are reduced to zero. Infantry squad, unit size 10 models, unit cost 60 points. This means any special weapons, anything you add to the sergeant, uh, any heavy weapons squad you put in to that infantry squad is free. That last cannon you put in on a on a heavy weapons squad is two of your uh, infantry squad
0: members free.
1: Just, infantry
0: squ- yeah. just a fifty Did, point cost. <laughs> didn't we learn this lesson from 7th edition of free stuff's not always good? One would think... Um, but considering
2: they're attached to guard bodies, I I don't know. But then we'll also see how that how that works combined with Hammer of the Emperor. So what's the what's the current cost
1: of an infantry squad? Because I think sixty points is higher than it used to be.
2: So like um, that's me, kind me of grab my, I think that's I'll the have tray. to grab my book because they've actually already updated the app with the new uh, ah, okay balance data slate stuff. So yeah, just I was a pulling the app to see if I could if it uh, if it was in there or not. Okay, so Astra Militarum troops, an infantry squad was 10 models. Unit cost 50, uh, 55 points. Uh, Auto cannon, 10 points. Bolt pistol, 2 points. Bolt, ac- bolt gun, 2 points. Flamer, 5 points. Grenade launcher, 5 points. Heavy bolter, 10. Last cannon, 15. Missile launcher, 15. Mortar, 10. Melty gun, 5. Uh, a Vox caster cost you 5. So, like an infantry squad with a Vox caster. And that's your only upgrade, would have been 60 points. Would have been 60. If, points. You had a, if you had added a power sword to the sergeant, now you're at 65. And let's say you added a las cannon, now you're, now, then you'd be at 80. And maybe there's a grenade launcher in the squad, so now 85. I mean, that, this will add up yeah. pretty quick. Co- no, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, you, yeah. You'd probably be able to fit in, you know, one, one more infantry squad easily, uh, or maybe, you know, a couple of uh, vehicle upgrades that you wouldn't have been able to put in otherwise. Yeah, for sure.
1: Interesting. All right. Uh, yeah, I was just wondering, kind of like what, because I was thinking that cost did go up. So yeah, it's still the core, cheaper overall, the base cost. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah, definitely cheaper overall. And like, th- so there's like no reason to not take a Voxcaster in there, for example, because it's mm-hmm. free. Like, there's certain things, like yeah, absolutely take this because why wouldn't you?
1: Well, yeah, yeah. Now, now you're always going to take the bolt pistol and power sword upgrade on your sergeant, et cetera. You know, mm-hmm. so
2: right. Yeah. Uh, Adeptus Custodes uh, a lot of people think that they've probably got some of the biggest hits as far as balance. Change the third bullet point of the detachment abilities of an Adeptus Custodes attachment to read troops and us- troops units in Adeptus Custodes attachment gain
0: the objective secured ability
2: instead of everything.
0: I mean yeah. that is a big deal but I can see it kind of bringing them in line with others but it, it does take away from the fact of I'm a custode. Everything I go is secure. Right. Um, and
2: I've also heard like this combined with the bodyguard changes make custodian wardens basically not worth taking. Like they don't pr- they don't really bring enough to the table to be worth taking anymore. Yeah. I, I think that's fair. Uh, add the following to the esteemed amalgam emperor's auspice and martial direction or martial discretion stratagems. You can only use the stratagem once. Um, I have actually seen a couple people joke that it doesn't say once per game; it does say once. So theoretically, you can use it once and then <laughs> remove that section from your codex. It is no longer allowed. <laughs> use it wisely. Everybody gets one. Everybody gets one. <laughs> Jeez.
1: I do not want to get to a point where uh, 40k has like you know special one use only like ever rules, and you have to like here's your tear stratagem
2: card. Use it. Use it wisely. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to, <laughs> <laughs> oof, oof. Uh, and then change the Adeptus Custodes keyword in all instances on the arcane genetic alchemy and Emperor's Auspice stratagems to read Adeptus Custodes infantry, which means they do not apply to bikes, specifically,
0: is the big change. Yeah, that's fair. Which, that's fine, the bikes are already really, really yeah, strong. Yeah, Vertus
2: Praetors are, are too good.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't think any of the changes for Adeptus Mechanicus were new this time. Space Marines, we talked about salamanders getting no no rerolling wounds against them. Uh, Chaos Space Marines did not change. They still suck, unfortunately.
0: Um, <sighs> but I thought Sorry. they were going to turn into, like, five-wound models or something awesome.
1: New no, not yet. At some point, maybe. <laughs>
2: Death Guard. All the following bullet add the following bullet point to the detachment abilities of a Death Guard detachment. Blight Lord Terminators and Death Shroud Terminator units and Death Guard detachments gain the objective secured ability. I like that they're
1: being consistent with how with who gets
2: objective secured.
1: That's that's nice.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Especially when you consider their Blight Lord Terminators with armor of contempt now also. Right. Yeah. And they were already good in the codex. I I just I just
1: I love that they're not giving off the feeling of we don't know what we're doing, we're just throwing stuff up against a wall. That's that's nice that they're that they're being measured and consistent with this stuff.
2: I de- I detect a hint of sarcasm there, sir. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and you know what? Now that you won't want to take that plague Burst crawler because indirect fire isn't as good and you'll free up more points to take more blight lord terminators. I mean, I'm still taking that blight crawler because it's still a really good tank. I'm just
1: <laughs> I'm just not taking like 3 of them. <laughs>
2: Um, Drukari changes. Uh, I think, uh, I think this is new. Uh, removing core from Talos and Kronos. Yeah, I that believe was that
0: snail. Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: And so, no, no like re roll or aura abilities for them, which is fine. They were, they were really too good as it, as it was. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing new for Necrons and Orcs. These are all carryovers from the previous Balanced Data Slate. Harlequins, change the mirror architect pivotal role to read in your command phase, select one friendly Sadath core unit within nine inches of this model, which, by the way, core now includes Harlequins. They did uh, release an FAQ that added that, uh, like troops get core. Select one friendly Sadath core unit within nine inches of this model until the start of your next command phase. Each time an enemy unit is selected to shoot when measuring the range to any model in that Sadath unit is always considered to be an additional six inches away from the shooting model. Um, change the favor of Kagorak warlord trait to read once per turn when you make a melee hit roll, a melee wound roll, or a saving throw for this warlord. After making that roll, you can treat the result as an unmodified wound, uh, unmodified roll of six instead. Because I think they changed, I'd have to look at, uh, favor of Kagorak. Was it shooting and melee or was before, or did they?
0: I th- thought it was just shooting. Let me go grab a book.
1: All right. So it used to be uh, provide your warlord a once per turn automatic six on either a hit wound
2: or saving throw. So they did shift it from from any hit or wound to just melee hit or wound. Yeah.
0: Okay. Kevin is faster at books than me. He is. He
2: got at it. <laughs> Oh well, okay. uh, <laughs> And then change the points for a Star Weaver unit to unit size one model, unit cost ninety-five points. Change the points cost for a Void Weaver's unit to unit size one to three models. Boo! Should have changed that. And unit cost hundred and thirty points per model, up from ninety. Yeah,
0: that's the biggest change there. Yeah,
2: right. Yeah. It it does discourage you from taking nine of them. This is that's for sure. Uh, because basically, once you've taken three of them, you've paid for an extra one. I don't, I, I don't know if stripping them down to like six is going to be enough. They're still going to be good. It does Mm -hmm. encourage more varied builds, but I don't, I just, I don't know if that's enough, but we'll have to see. Like, we'll have to see how it plays out. Did you have something to say, Dennis?
0: No, I I was just saying, I, I think I'm in agreement with you that it's, I don't think it's enough either, but we'll have to see how builds have changed but I, I don't think they'll spam nine like you said, but oh man, they're still good,
2: yeah, I mean nine's gonna cost over eleven hundred points, so that's a huge chunk of your army rather than costing less than nine hundred, so there's definitely some opportunity cost there by taking nine now, but yeah i i i am i'm it depends on if that's enough plus the the addition of like tyranids and some of these other rules like does this bring marines up enough that harlequin struggle against them a bit stuff like that i i don't know yet that's a lot see. of things they have to balance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll be talking about that. Um Tau Empire. Change to the second bullet point of the Montka ability to read each time a model on this unit makes a ranged attack that targets the closest eligible enemy unit within the range shown in the table below. Reroll a wound roll of one. Um I believe that used to be uh that that had an additional ability. I want to say it was plus one to hit as well. So I believe yeah, originally this was it, besides the rerolling wound rolls of one, it was also improve the AP by one, which considering they're trying to lower the AP of attacks against certain armies, obviously doing that to Montcob made their attacks more too efficient, too easy to stick wounds. So uh, I can understand that. Um, change the first bullet point of the devastating counter-strike Farsight Enclaves tenant to read each time a model with this tenant makes a ranged attack that targets a unit within 9 inches the target is treated as having a marker light token that is down from 12 inches and that makes deep striking in uh, Farsight Enclaves no longer give you that benefit because if you have d- deep struck in you are by default more than 9 inches away yeah so, uh, that nerfs farsight a bit, requires them to play far more aggressive, you know, at three inches doesn't seem like a whole lot, but it does require you to play more aggressively than you would otherwise. Remove the core keyword from broadsides. Broadsides no longer benefit from any of those nice core, uh, aura abilities, and then add the following to the repulsor impact field and photon grenade stratagems. The charge roll modifier incurred via the stratagem is not cumulative with any other negative modifier to a unit's charge roll. Most importantly, you can't stack these two uh, because yeah. Tau players were using this to basically shut down ass- assaults. Because when you lose, like, four from your charge roll, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Especially if I can keep you at, like, nine inches. Yeah, you're you're not making it, so... And uh, those are the changes f- to the uh, balance data slate. Um, there are some, like I said, there are some big changes here that will definitely shift up the meta. We It's been too soon, I think, because a, a number of large events would have had cut off dates on errata and such. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a few weeks before we really see the impact of this. And then, of course, that there is nothing in here for Tyranids because, other than the bodyguard ability changes, which are across the board, same with indirect fire. Um, we'll have to see how Tyranids shake things up. However, speaking of Tyranids shaking things up, one of the points in our 10 things you need to know about Tyranids was... Our last point was Crusher, Crusher Stampede is still legal. And I had to edit the episode <laughs> right before I released it because it was no longer. Because they there is a stealth release. Now, I say stealth. It's not mentioned in a news article on Warhammer Community, but it is available under the download section, not the FAQ section, the download section of Warhammer Community, and they did announce it on, like, Facebook and and Twitter, Mm -hmm. that uh, they were releasing a document to tell you what faction's rules in certain rule supplements are still up to date and thus legal for matched play. Or I guess legal in general. These aren't even just legal for plates, like which ones are still supported and, and uh, legal to use. And so they go through every Psychic Awakening book. Um, there's several, Phoenix Rising, Blood of Ball, Ritual of the Damned, Pariah, Saga of the Beast, and uh, White Dwarf, the, the White Dwarf articles for Harlequins and Death Watch, no longer legal. And we kind of figured that out because those rules were clearly supplanted by existing rules. Um, Faith and Fury, technically, the Heretic Astartes rules are still listed, but they also have a asterisk with a footnote saying these have been reprinted in a Warzone Caradon Act 2. So, uh, technically, you don't need the Psychic Awakening books to have these rules anymore. Uh, so, the only ones that of the Psychic Awakening books that are still relevant are Greater Good, because Astra Militarum has not been updated, uh, psychic awakening, engine war, because that has demons, knights, and imperial or demons, Chaos knights, and imperial knights, and war of the spider because it still has agents of the Imperium, aka assassins.
0: How? Wait, what? Inquisitor? Is, oh, Inquisitors did get updated. Never mind.
2: When Inquis- Inquisitors got reprinted in one of the uh, campaign books. So yeah, I remember. Yeah, they were in Pariah. They are out now. Or, so or they so Pariah is no longer necessary. Also, I think that's it. One thing that's interesting is. Greater Good, Engine War, and War of the Spider also have expiration dates listed. And the, without hinting when the codex, a codex that includes them, is going to be released, because they say, for example, the Greater Good, the uh, Astra Militarum one, vo- valid until January 20th, 2023, unless superseded by a codex. So hmm. if Guard get a codex before next January, then this these rules go away. But if not, these rules stick around until January 2023, in which case they go away and we don't know what they get replaced with.
0: Um, Second edition rules.
2: Yeah. uh, (laughs) Engine War, uh, the only one that's really going to matter is Chaos Demons because Knights and Imperial Knights we know are coming at the time of releasing this. uh, We don't have a release date on Chaos Knights and Imperial Knights, although they've been very clear that those are the next books out. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't know when any new assassin books are being released. Um, they, I'm surprised they haven't been any of the newer campaign books yet. So we're, if you're using assassins, you are still having to dig out an eighth edition book to use it. Um, and then they continue on to a second page, which campaign books, uh, as in the ninth edition campaign releases, um, so far, like both halves of Warzone Caradon those everything there is legal the freeblade lance uh terminus est the mechanicus defense cohort cult of strife house raven metallica although we'll see what happens with freeblade Free lance and house raven because when imperial knights come out i think that's going to affect them the way that uh warzone octarius is affected by the tyranids release because a the appendix Tyranids, codex supplement Leviathan and the hive mind synaptic link rules are gone. Now the synaptic links obviously got reprinted and modified in some form in uh, the codex, but uh, that is the the rules in Octarius no longer apply. Um, Warzone Octarius two still completely legal. Warzone Nachman, which is brand new. Uh, completely legal and so far all the older campaign books expire on january 2023 vigilus alone the newest campaign book uh is valid until june of 2023 so basically there's about a a year some of these books are going to expire in about six months some will expire in about a year um well so, uh, just thinking about that, when
1: when exactly do, like, the seasons, quote-unquote, of 40K start? Because don't they – isn't it basically, like, right after uh, LVO, like, February or whatever, and then it goes for six months and then there's another one? Because it's if technically – the-
2: I, th- I think it's technically supposed to be, like, January, July or – Okay. Like, it's every cause six just- months now.
1: Yeah, because I'm wondering if, like, the plan – if there's planned obsolescence in that where, like – This campaign book, these campaign books are going to be valid for two seasons, quote unquote, and then we will, you know, update the campaign books and you know incorporate everything into Codexes. So I wonder if that's kind of where that planned obsolescence comes in. Um, It it could be. You know, it is a way, I guess, to keep those campaign books fresh and like, no, we're going to keep publishing them and you know have to keep, you know, keep getting updates to them. Um, And it keeps Mm -hmm. potentially keeps you know people from having to lug around a bunch of a bunch of books like if it's going to constantly be reprinted so
2: this is true but it's also rough like octarius did not come out that long ago like octarius Mm -hmm. one was like six seven months ago and nid players just bought that book and now their half of it is useless Yeah. yeah so that's that's what i would call a poorly planned obsolescence plan no, I agree. Um, I agree with that. And then, <laughs> and then uh, White Dwarf, we, you know, the Psychic Awakening articles were already mentioned, and then Crusher Stampede is also marked as no longer legal. Um, the, and what's interesting is, like, Codex Supplement Leviathan and Crusher Stampede, it's not like they're superseded by anything specific in the new Codex. It's not like there's a, a Crusher Stampede variant Hive Fleet you can take or anything like that. Um, it's just gone. It's just no longer applicable. So um, I feel sorry for people who went out of their way to buy. Well, they were probably like, you know, bootleg, but you know, the like barbed and scythe hired duels for their crusher stampede lists right before this. Um, it's again, mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those things where it's like, Oh, we didn't like, this should have been communicated ahead of time. And, and now we at least have expiration dates, but it's It's going to be harder to convince people who are not into narrative play to buy the campaign books knowing that they could be pulled at any time. Although some of these, like, some of these probably won't be you know, we'll probably hit their expiration date because, like, I don't think Death Guard's going to be reprinted anytime soon. So Terminus Est is probably fine for right now. Mechanicus will be fine because the Skitari veteran cohort and the Mechanicus defense cohort are probably fine for right now. Mm-hmm. But, like, Chaos Space Marines, when they get their new codex later this year, does that mean the, uh, like, all the various uh, specific Renegade factions, the creations of bile, the special rules for all the individual legions, do those all go away? Or are those like what's getting rolled into a new codex and what just is made illegal cuz like there's some stuff in the, for the uh for the legions like like the Emperor's children mm. stuff the legions it's really good for Emperor's children and it'll be it, sad to see that go away unless it gets reprinted so in the codex. It <sighs> It kind of seems,
1: like, with what they're doing here, because especially with the Tyranids is the clear example of, like, new codex comes out that supersedes this, and it supersedes everything before that codex. That's rough now because there was no, like, advance warning of that, and that sucks for Tyranid players. Not going to lie. If that's the consistent design philosophy going forward of new codex comes out, it resets everything we've done before, and this is the valid rule set, that's actually a fine precedent to set and have that expectation going forward. So when we get a new Chaos Marine Codex, all of those other supplements are no longer valid, and we will reprint the ones that are valid or include it in the codex.
0: That's Kevin, fine. do, you mean,
1: that's do you, you mean when or if? Well, uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but that's simpler from a like bookkeeping perspective of like, okay, new Chaos Marine Codex in June – Whenever it comes out, everything bef- that was printed for Chaos Marines before June 2022 is no longer valid. And it's just going forward. That makes it easier to like th- I think that does make it easier. It sucks in this case because there was no advanced warning that this stuff was going away. But if they are consistent with that design going forward, I don't hate that design idea
2: yeah that's fair. i think that there needs to be somewhere in like either the core rule f a like f a q or mm-hmm. the designer's commentary or something there needs to be a document or maybe even just appended to this document yeah. stating what like our our design philosophy going forward is codex codex is yeah. a hard reset and i think yeah. that would that would be fine if everyone goes into it knowing that if the new this this is only valid until your new codex comes out yeah I, I do think that they need to include that in there somewhere. But if that's the idea going forward, I'm fine with that. I would also make an argument that if an army of renown or codex supplement is going to be something that is not strictly tied to narrative, I don't think it should be in a campaign book. I should think it should be in a white dwarf where everyone can have access to it more easily. Mm-hmm. Whereas if yeah. it is tied to the narrative that they're doing, and thus maybe Crusade only, then like I, I kind of want the campaign books to be Crusade only. Like it just, I, yeah, I agree. I, I, I mean, it would tank the sales of them, no question. But I think it would be better for for the game. And again, this is getting into the conversation we're going to have later, but. Uh, It's just, I think people, if people knew, like, if I'm buying a campaign book, I'm buying it for the campaign and the storytelling and not for whatever I can squeeze out of it for match play. I think that would be better for everyone involved. But, but, you know, it depends on if they, what their philosophy is going forward. Oh, I think that's all the rules changes they dropped on us. It's, It's some big, big stuff the only other real big news other than you know previews for what's coming up for nights and chaos nights which w- we will talk about when those codexes are released a new lore
0: uh, drop for the leagues
2: yeah <laughs> yeah the 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 lore for the <laughs> leagues of votan is interesting in that basically always defrag your hard drives yes
0: <laughs> hey yeah. what if the hard drive has been around for 10,000 years
2: you should have been well, defragging that bitch every year <laughs>
1: if if you don't defrag it, then it develops personality and goes crazy <laughs> and
2: gets slow, too. Remember em- slow. Defra- If you don't defrag your drives, the computer gets slow. <laughs> but the idea that the, the the leagues of Voton are led by these giant comput- like supercomputers that basically make all their decisions for them, and the reason they're having to step out now is because they're getting, they're getting flaky. Because they're like thousands and thousands of years old. Is yeah. Pretty fine. interesting. That, that's awesome. No, I think it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> also the fact that some of these have STCs buried in them is huge <laughs> lore wise. Yeah. No, I'm I'm excited for that. Like the the
1: the I'm actually surprised they're unspooling that much like fluff this soon because Yeah, I don't know. I I was not I was expecting to be much more of a slow burn with like a later, you know. More of a build up as we get closer to the release date. If they're going to continue to kind of unspool lore as we go along, that's great. I love it. Yeah,
0: I see them doing more lore as we go along. Then closer to the release date, they'll start doing models and rules.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, can I see that. I, I th- I'm wondering if they're doing it because yeah, they don't want to re- they don't want to play their hand too soon on what the models are going to look like, but they also want to release like, look, this is not a joke army. We've been taking this yeah. seriously and coming up with some cool lore. Like there's there's storyline behind this that we are getting into and why they're showing up now. So no, and that's good. It's Redcon. Yeah, <laughs> I,
1: I do think that they yeah, I do think they definitely have to kind of combat the fact that for a long time squats were a joke army and then a meme within the community so
0: <laughs> one that we've leaned into yes
2: oh absolutely <laughs> oh, sure. we we for are sure. guilty of this ourselves
1: <laughs> the other thing that they that they announced that i thought was really cool was like they showed off the plastic spartan for horus heresy yeah, that was the next thing i was gonna mention yeah isn't specifically a 40k thing but my god that plastic model looks amazing Um, hopefully it's in the starter kit. If it, you know, like rumors, um, suggest it might be. And if it is, yeah, I'm definitely gonna be picking up that starter kit.
2: (laughs) I mean, it looks as good, if not better than the forge world version. It really does. And I, and I have a forge world one. I love it.
1: But like, if I can get a plastic one that I'm like, don't have to fear it shattering into a million pieces. If I accidentally drop it, um, (laughs) I, and plus, also just having multiples because I really like having them for my World Eaters army. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was also kind of cool that um, the Space Marine that's like on top, like with the the pencil-mounted weapon, is in Mark II armor. Which yeah, which I thought was kind of cool that it's like that
2: may be the first like Mark II plastic armor they've they've released, which is kind of cool. So I mean, yeah, we're, we're they're definitely you know digging into all of it when they when they switch it to plastic. They are not they're not holding back anything so i no i appreciate that and i the spartan is one i didn't quite expect uh like i would have like definitely like the the demos pattern Mm -hmm. uh like rhinos and things like that but i did not expect them to drop like a full spartan as like the first vehicle they showed off so that that's very cool
1: (laughs) yeah Oh, my hope is they 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 do release more of those. Like I said, the Demos patterns and Land Raiders and stuff like that. Some of those other vehicles as well. And like, I know that the big ones are still going to stay on Forge World, but like a plastic Sakarin or something like that would would also like be really neat for 40k and for Heresy. So lowering yeah, that bark barrier some, of entry.
2: Somebody, I saw th- somebody. I want to say it was like a YouTube video uh, wondering if the Sakarin was going to be the next thing that they announced mm-hmm. vehicle wise. Um. If they, even if I don't play um, horse heresy, if they come out with plastic Demos rhinos, I may pick up a couple for my Death Guard, just mm-hmm. to to give them the older Mark vehicles to use, exactly. just for fluff reasons. I think because I that's where I think you'll see forty k players, like Chaos players, dipping into the horse heresy line is to get access to those older vehicles to chaos up. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> And I think that's all our our big news and uh, new release, so let's move it over to listener mail. Uh, As always, these letters are written by you, the listeners, and we'll tell you how you can have your letter read on the air at the end of the segment. Uh, First one is from Seth Brown. And Seth writes, Hey guys, I'm new to the game. Having started this past December, well, welcome aboard to the hobby. Seth, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry for your wallet. (laughs) I I've already built both Tyranids and Gene Stealer Cult Armies. I love the gameplay and the lore of 40k so much. It's reinvigorated my drive in any kind of hobby, having grown tired of Magic the Gathering after a decade of being super involved in it. Firstly, I wanted to say thank you all for making this podcast, as it has really helped me gain an understanding of how to evaluate new releases with an eye for competitive viability. Mm. Uh. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even if i only play casually Mm -hmm. i'm gonna be talking about that later but (laughs)
0: but thank you (laughs) we only play casually as well
2: (laughs) pretty much i mean we play casually competitive or competitively casual i think so after all that here's my question what are y'all's thoughts on the Gene Stealer Cult Codex? Please? They're my favorite army and is arguably one of the most strongly balanced codexes compared to Custodes and Tau, at least. I think they deserve it. Even if we don't get a whole episode, at least a segment would be appreciated. Thank you for your time, Seth.
0: So now we change the episode to a Gene Steeler's Cult review. Nope, nope,
2: nope, <laughs> no, <laughs> nope. Not yet, not yet. Uh, okay, I'm going to make a promise. I'm going to make a promise. Gene, we will do a Gene Steeler cult codex review in June. And the reason I'm saying June is there's some stuff that we have to talk about in May. And then May is also Midwest Conquest. I imagine we'll be doing an episode about that. So I don't know know who's
0: going to that. No, no, (laughs) none of us.
2: (laughs) But I hear we can get the TO for the friendly to do an interview with us. Nope. Fuck that guy. <laughs> but uh but so our our schedule is pretty much booked for the next yeah, you know, for all of May, but in June we will put out the long-delayed and promised <laughs> Gene Steeler cult codex review. It'll actually be interesting to see how this book behaves now and interacts. Uh, with the addition of the new Tyranid Codex and these balanced data slate changes, because um, honestly, Gene Stealer Cults have not been doing uh, very well in the competitive environment. They have been doing poorly, but they haven't been doing well. So it'll be interesting to see how they how they stack up. Um, so that is my promise to you. June, we will be releasing that episode. So uh, for all the people who have been patient, it, we will talk about it in June. Unless, of course, the Guard Codex is released before then, which I doubt, but if it is, we promised that we would talk about the next Guard Codex, so that one might push back the genes. Nope, nope, I'm going to say June, I'm going to, hard, <laughs> a firm deadline of, sometime in June, we'll talk Gene Sealer cults, I promise. Maybe. <laughs> Unless Chaos Space Marines released in June, and then, I'm sorry, that's... Because Kevin to have ten- won't stop talking about it. Yeah, we'll have to have 10 things <laughs> yeah. Kevin is still unhappy about in the new cha- Chaos Space exactly. new Codex. <laughs> well, I mean,
1: I'm a Chaos player. I have to complain about something. Like, that's how, <laughs> that's, that's like, just law.
3: <laughs> I can't imagine, like, at least if you are playing mixed with Tyranids, like, it can only be helped by the new Tyranid Codex.
2: True, although the new tier nids lose a lot of their extra rules. Not all of them, but they like lose all their high, de- high their like high of adaptations and things like that if you're not running a full NID army. So it'll be interesting
3: it's to see true, how the how that behaves. I mean, just in general, like you weren't getting that stuff before if you were playing mixed, really. Yeah, true. It's uh, but, you know, like we s- it you you're just getting better monsters.
2: Yeah, yeah. But it, it'll be interesting because like competitively at L- like LVO and before we were like we were starting to still see or we are still seeing um like the hive mind like forces of the hive mind mixed armies performing yeah. decently well so it'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out but uh Custodes definitely overshadowed them in that paired release yeah and then our second letter is from Ron no last name provided and Ron writes, Hey guys, I know you'll most likely be covering the new balance update that is due to drop this week, which we have. Uh, th- I have an old question I hope you can help find an answer on. I play orcs, and I'm running a squad of 10 tank bustas in a squiggeth from Forge World. My opponent charged that squiggeth. Can the tank bustas inside shoot overwatch? The squiggeth has the how-to rule. So, can I shoot overwatch? And if not, is there a way I can? Thanks for your help, Ron. So, there's a I'm gonna say no, and there's a couple of reasons why I say no. First off, is in the uh, Imperial Armor Codex itself, or the, the Imperial Armor Compendium, and uh, the first thing is if we go to find the orcs, do do do
3: one ninety.
2: is on page one ninety-seven. Uh, the how to rule. How to starts in your shooting phase. Units embarked on this model can be selected to shoot. And then it goes for and talks about measuring range. Um, While shooting with units embarked in this army, they do not count as being within engagement range of enemy units. And if the model made a normal move or fell back, they count as that remaining stationary. However, the, the important words are those first four in your shooting phase. How do the... Uh, Overwatch does not occur in the shooting phase. So... It would not apply, like, you're outside of the phase in which you are allowed to do it. You can do shooting attacks in Overwatch, but they are not considered to be in the shooting phase. Second is in the main rule FAQs. And that is in Rare Rules. uh, This is on page eight of the core rule FAQs. Uh, Rare Rules add the following. Shooting while embarked on a transport. Some rules, such as open-topped, enabled units to shoot and make range attacks even while embarked within a transport model. Each time such an embarked unit is selected to shoot, the following rules apply to it. Number 1, stratagems cannot be used on that unit in order to affect its attacks and you cannot use the command reroll stratagem to affect any dice rolls made for its models' ranged attacks. Um, while they don't te- while I don't know if it can technically counts as affecting its attacks, the while the Overwatch ability is kind of just a an advanced rule on page 227, In most cases, the only way, and they say 227 of the core rulebook, but they're the advanced rules in the charge phase section, fire overwatch is a stratagem. Uh, So uh, use the stratagem after an enemy unit has declared a charge against one or more units from your army. One of the units that was chosen as the target of that charge can fire overwatch before the charge rule is made. Um, Unfortunately, again, overwatch does not happen in the shooting phase. And I don't think because the unit inside was not selected as the target of the charge, they are not L el- they, A, they are not an eligible target for o- the overwatch stratagem and they can't be tart. You can't use stratagems on that unit because the, the rules interaction specifically say you, they cannot be used on it in order to affect its attacks. Um, I don't know if there's anything specific about... I'm checking to see if there's anything specific about Overwatch. Um, there's nothing in Updates and Errata.
1: And I checked the uh, Imperial Armor FAQ, and there's nothing in there that would affect right. it, specifically with the Squigoth. So, now I, I, I think you're right. I don't think they would be able to.
2: I can understand wanting to do so. Mm-hmm.
1: But it's actually uh, one of the things that I kind of like about ninth edition is they've kind of specified like and clarified a lot of that stuff with like in the shooting phase this happens, you know, or, or this, you know, this is an action, this is a strategy and things like that. And I, I think that helps clear up some of those interactions or at least, you know, parse them out a little bit better.
2: Right. And, you know, they've made clear like there's the difference. Like this is one of the things that plagued us in like I remember sixth and seventh when they first started introducing Overwatch again um it's like there's shooting attacks and there's the shooting phase and in the shoot like and it used to be the two were kind of roughly like attacks you made Mm. in the shooting phase were considered shooting attacks and in ninth edition it's very clear there are shooting attacks and there's the shooting phase you often make shooting attacks in the shooting phase but they are not the same thing like you can do shooting attacks outside but if something specifies in the shooting phase, it means only in the shooting phase. It does not apply to yeah. any other area of the game.
3: When they were first reintroducing, uh, Overwatch, I, I remember the flagrant use of the phrase, like, make a shooting attack as though it were the shooting phase or right. something <laughs> like that. And like, like that, like, phrase, like, opened up a whole can of worms. Mm hmm.
2: And and that is something we do not have to deal with anymore, <laughs> so, because they have very clearly spelled out what how phases are at work, what the different parts of phases are, and the fact that the things that you can do in phases, like we describe how to do a shooting attack when we're in the shooting phase rules, but it is not something that is limited to the shooting phase. And so it, it's much clearer. Also, just being very clear about like, yeah, stratagems can't affect like, like what is and isn't a ch- charge target, uh what stratagems can and can't interact with Yeah, you know, it's like you know the rules uh, the core rules are pretty streamlined, but fortunately they've they've got that uh, that appendix at the end and they keep adding on to it, which tells me they really need to reprint the core book with these added in to make sure that like all these rare rules interactions are available in an easy to easy-to-handle format, so that it's like, okay, these are the kinds of rules or interactions that can pop up. Here's how to adjudicate them. Which, even if it was just in, like, a judge's handbook or something like that, that they gave out to TOs, because they're starting to give out materials to TOs now, that would be really handy, just to have all those, so you can just, like, nope, the rules are very clear on these things don't interact.
1: When they print the tournament packs, you know, like, the tournament guide for you know for each season or whatever like in the missions and stuff that should just be included in there yeah they did not do uh,
2: that they don't do it anymore right
1: Right. no i I just I, i don't understand why they went away from that because that seemed like a really great place to have it refreshed you know and be able to be out there and and get those out with those updates but you're not requiring everybody to have to buy it either only the tos would get it you know and the players can buy it if they want but yeah it that seems like the perfect place. I'm not sure why they stopped doing that.
2: Yeah, it, it's an odd, it was an odd decision to make because that was one of the things I really liked about the first two chapter approves they did for this edition mm-hmm. was having that, having the, that mini rule book in there, spiral bound. They don't do that anymore, which also makes me sad, yeah. but yeah. Uh, just having that in there to, to work with was really, really nice. And I miss that. But uh, hopefully, Ron, that answers your question. And I, as far as is there a way to shoot Overwatch, there's so few situations outside, especially with somebody in a squiggeth. Because there's – I can't think of any ways to give the squiggeth – put the squiggeth in a situation where it could get a non-strategem Overwatch. So – and again – Overwatch only applies to the units being charged and unless something specifically says they can fire as if they were charged, which I have not seen any rule that says passengers can do that, um, then uh, unfortunately, it yeah, it's not going to happen. So I uh, hope that doesn't ruin your plans, but uh, that is how it seems to be to be spelled out to us. And if you have a uh, rules question or a request of us or commentary on something we've said before, or just want to write into the show, uh, there are three good ways to do that. First is uh, our email. You can email us at our first names at preferred So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferredenemies.com or our first names at preferred Second is Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash preferred enemies. You can like us there, follow us, catch updates on upcoming episodes, things we're working on, our takes. On news and send us messages there and third is on Twitter we are twitter.com slash preferred enemy singular uh, we take content from all those three sources put them together get them in the hopper get through as many as we can an episode hopper is currently empty so if you want to get your letter read now is the perfect time to get it to us Uh, Second, we do have a Patreon. If you want to help support the show, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash preferred enemies. That is our online tip jar. We don't lock any of our shows behind uh, a paywall, so you can access all our content on our website. But if you want to help support the show, if you have the means to do so, we first ask that you use your wargaming powers for awesome and help support communities in your area and beyond. But after doing that, if you still have uh, funds that you want to help support the show with, which pay for things like our web hosting, our recording service, Uh, replacing microphones and uh, helping us uh, defray travel costs to go to events so that we can cover them for you. Uh, We uh, really appreciate that help. And if, if it's even just a dollar a month, enough people put in a dollar. It really does help out. Uh, Third thing is, as we've mentioned, Midwest Conquest is coming in May, specifically Memorial Day weekend. And while we are not running it, with the exception of Kevin, who is running the friendly tournament at that location, uh, we will all be present. uh, And it is a fantastic event in uh, this year. It's going to be in Independence, Missouri, at the Stony Creek Hotel and Convention Center, uh, centrally located near a whole lot of food, entertainment and shopping. So there's lots of opportunities if you want to bring your family or if you just want stuff to do. After the tournament, we're actually not too far from the uh, Warhammer store. So if you have anything you need to pick up, plus we'll also have other vendors on site. Um, There's going to be a GT, a friendly tournament, Beer Hammer on Friday night, Night Joust on Saturday night. Also, if you're into World War II gaming, there's also a bolt action tournament you can look at attending as well. Uh, You can go to MidwestConquest.com to find uh, details on all our events, as well as the two raffle armies we are going to be giving away. Uh, for charity, so again MidwestConquest.com or search for Midwest Conquest on Best Coast Pairings that's going to be Memorial Day weekend in Independence, Missouri We're going to go ahead and take a quick break for sponsor identification and when we come back, it'll be time to talk about, has Warhammer 40k gotten too complex in this edition? See you in a bit
3: Miniatures We build them, we paint them
0: We love them that's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again, safely. And that's where KR Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport
3: system.
1: They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard sized miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models.
3: KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are
0: carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full
2: range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases.
1: You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the
3: right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, warm hordes, or historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs.
0: You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam.
2: are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real then you need to check out the battle mats from game
1: mat
0: Their professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs available in a variety of styles with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones winter wastelands to alien deserts there's a game mat mat to fit any kind of terrain
3: their mats are padded anti-slip waterproof and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage and if you don't have a gaming table they've got you
0: covered with their folding board portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain if you're ready to upgrade your gaming table head over to
1: www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you game mat
2: giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back. And that means it's time for our main topic, which is, has 40K become too complex? Now, the reason this came to mind was after the data sheet, especially with the the armor of contempt change and, like, realizing that... Like, the math in 40k has gotten to the point where it's like, oh, we we pushed the math too far in one direction, and we've made, made these armies not as viable, so now we have to put in a new rule that isn't printed in a codex, that tries to correct for the math, but only in certain situations, and interacts with certain rules, and doesn't interact with other certain rules, and... That got me thinking, along with some of the difficulties we've been having in figuring out, like, trying to highlight, like, what's good and what's not in uh, in, in recent codexes. I mean, that, that is why Seth's letter shames me. It shames me, saying that it's like, you've been really good at helping me figure out what's competitively viable. I'm like, have we? Have we really? <laughs> we've been giving and- opinions. We've been giving opinions, and I'm reminded of – this was a a quote from the uh, Goonhammer Tyranids Codex review, and I think I may have mentioned this on the show. Uh, What I don't – this is a quote from uh, Wings on there, uh, basically uh, James Grover. He said, what I don't like about this book is the stuff that's too good, and this time around it feels surprisingly and almost jarringly obvious what it is. I expect we'll end up writing a What Needs a Nerf article for some of this in the fullness of time. And here's the important part. And unlike with some of the previous books where there were ominous vibes, but it wasn't entirely clear what would emerge on top once you layered on all the options... Here I feel like I could draft it today and be 80% correct. And it's that not being clear of what's good until you layer in all the options. And that is very much like kind of my exposure, like my take on ninth edition is it, is, there are so many options that can be layered on top of each other and so many things you have to take into account that it's sometimes difficult to look at a codex or an army and figure out like okay so so what's a good build like what how should this work and if you're looking at like what is especially from the ground or from the standpoint of what is competitively viable and then this brings me to a second quote now this is a quote from the r slash one page rules subreddit so this is a a subreddit devoted to another game which we will be talking about later in the episode that is kind of an alternate rule system for 40k style miniatures I'll dance around it but it was it was a it was specifically from a question on what like one page rules versus 40k and this this quote, I think, really kind of encapsulates where, where some people, and this is not an across the board thing, but where some people are coming at 40k now. This is from someone going by the name of CEO underscore Kason and writes, 40k's 8th slash 9th edition had some initial promise with a streamlined engine. I was pretty excited about 9th's release. Sadly, the army books have rapidly turned the whole affair into a bloated mess that said lightweight engine was not equipped to handle. The slew of special rules, particularly stratagems and blanket purity bonuses that are frequently not accounted for in points cost of your units, poor gotcha moments on players. Players have started bringing entire flashcard sets to remember what they can do and when. They feel bad when they're used on you, and when you use them. I always felt like a complete ass when I broke out the one excessive combo my faction was basically supposed to do 40k is not a game without depth, but it's kind of got a 1v1 fighting game problem with accessibility. In Street Fighter and others of its ilk, there's a deep and intricate strategy at high levels, but there's a staggering amount of memorization, study, and general bullshit you have to wade through before you know enough to make those interesting decisions and not just get blown away by someone who knows the buttons to execute their character's hyper ultimate triple X giga combo. Instead, you could just play Smash Brothers, which offers a simple set of inputs, a much more fun, random, and easy-to-handle casual environment when that is what you want allows players of various skill levels to have fun together and still has depth for high level play and that's one page rules by comparison. Both 40k and Age of Sigmar have a schedule, a release schedule balance problem in 40k and Age of Sigmar one, maybe two army books are updated a month if that, which wouldn't be as big a problem if the releases weren't so heavily power crept. So some armies are super powerful while other armies languish. In 40k, if you're not playing Loyalist Space Marines, which by the way, this is from 7 months ago, which tells you how much things have changed since then, <laughs> then you will off and on exist in a rules limbo where your abilities may be weak, obsolete, or simply designed with other editions in mind, and therefore built all wrong to play Ninth edition. Well, we are now at a point where the vast majority of codexes are now updated for 9th edition, but we're still seeing the same problems of, and I, it's especially that whole idea of comparing this to the difference, to comparing this to like Street Fighter. High end level street fighter players can pull off some amazing moves, but you have to know, like, what frame of this animation do I need to attack from or how to combo in together? What like what exact stick movements do I need to do? There's there's a very deep level of study and practice and play to get at that level where you're not just blown off the table because you're like, I like I like the girl who kicks a lot. Yeah,
3: there's. (laughs) Yeah, like like the video of of the guy who perfect parries Chun Li's kicks. Wasn't that Daigo who did that? Yes, yes.
2: Yeah, it's like he's down to like his last sliver of life. Like, barely has any life left. Perfect parries every single attack from a rapid strike, and then wins the match. Yep. It's it's amazing, but it's like that's not <laughs> the, the average person's experience with the game. Yeah,
1: right. Well, like I, I've been watching a lot of like speed running videos on YouTube recently, just you know watching people do insane stuff. And yeah, like I think I watched like a forty five minute breakdown of like how this one trick in like Super Mario Brothers works. It's like this frame perfect input followed by this frame perfect input followed by this half second delay pixel. And I'm like, Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. So it is crazy.
2: The, the amount of depth that can go into some of those games. (laughs) And and I would say the high end players of 40 K like, like I think Richard Siegler is our Daigo, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like he knows the game at that level. Like he know like he can take pretty much anything and have a perfect event run with it. You know? So it's like I think it's an apt comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Now the complexity of forty k is nothing new uh uh and we 're also going to be referring to a number of vi- uh videos from the youtube channel Arbiter Ian because I think he has some like kevin you you brought him to our attention, and i think he has some fantastic videos on just this subject
1: yeah um it, it, it's a youtube channel that i he's been about a little over a year now um and he mm-hmm. focuses mainly on like casual like 40k stuff and a lot of like history of the game which i find fascinating because it's not like history of space marines in the game the history of evolutions of space marines within the game which is a topic that a lot of people don't cover and stuff like that so mm-hmm. it's a really good channel and i recommend their vi- his videos um but yeah he has a couple videos specifically on this topic that, that i think are relevant
2: Right. Uh, in fact, there was one I was just rewatching this morning about the history of 40k, mm-hmm. and you know, starting off with like like Road Traders, its own beast. It's it's so different than everything else. It's really hard to compare. It's more of a role playing game with some tactical gaming than it is a tactical war game. Right. But uh, second edition, I think, was a very weird, complex rule set. Everything had its own rules. Everything. There were a ton of templates. There were like all sorts of like things that you would normally see in uh, in uh, like skirmish level games, but applied at the army level. And uh, so it's a very difficult game. It was fun. I mean, we played back in college. Dennis and I played Second Edition, and it
0: was fun. Uh, but it was also a much smaller game. I mean, yes, our armies maybe had like two to three units each, not mm-hmm. what we see now. <laughs> Right.
1: Well, it, it's one of those things where it. I compare it a lot to like the history of like very, of like D and D and various role playing games. Um, if you play original D and D or second edition D and D, at the time they were great games because that was the cutting edge of game design. But now, after having played fifth edition. Game design has changed so much. If you try to go back and play second edition D&D, it doesn't make any sense. And it's like, oh my God, this is kludgy. This is awful. This is cumbersome. I think second edition Warhammer is kind of that same way. Where like at the time people played it because this was what a game was. But in the 25 years, whatever, since then, the games have been streamlined. Games Workshop has streamlined their games. Other companies have innovated in that space. And now like you go back to that rule set and it's just a complete shock
2: because of how... Just everything and you know, that was in it, right? And so then, third edition came along, and it was like a massive at the time streamlining and revamp of the rules, very akin to what we got between seventh and eighth edition. Mm-hmm. Um, all the all the army books were invalidated. They had uh, the third edition rule book basically had their equivalent of index 40k in the in the core book, and then they would re- they released like codexes, very slim codexes compared to what we have now. Okay. Um,
0: I, I just want to point out how nice it must have been to just have a core rulebook and have rules for every faction in one book.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, it was very nice. Um, but even from like the, the launch of third edition, which was very simplified, leaned heavily into some universal special rules, um, we st- started seeing... The hints of some of the complexity, like for example, vehicle. Anyone miss sev- third through seventh edition vehicle profiles with armor facings and damage that behaved completely differently from everything else? Not sometimes. At all. <laughs> nope, not at all.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, I'm the outlier. Like,
2: well, like, like facing, or especially like, what happens if I hit at the corner? Which face do I hit? What if this face is flush against? Remember those arguments? Like, if the
3: this fact face that is I never have to deal with turn? tank
2: shock ever again. Is
0: worth it in and of itself because the tank that that one's fair fucking sucked. (laughs) I did not like tank shock rules either.
3: Right or 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 weapon arcs. Right
2: immobilized vehicles. Let's talk immobilized.
0: Oh, just moving an inch, hitting a piece of train, and becoming immobilized because you rolled a one. Uh I've never had that happen to every land raider I rolled.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Or half of like I know Kevin. Half of your games with like Mauler fiends would that would happen.
0: They would either be yeah they
1: would either be m v p s and just rip through an army, or they would get stunlocked turn one, and never move right yeah i don't mind uh, i
2: don 't miss that at all, <laughs> yeah, uh third and fourth edition were mostly the same, I think fourth edition you know was kind of a revision, clean up uh, added a few more universal special rules. And then starting in 5th edition, we start seeing more stuff roll out. The Allies Matrix. Remember how uh, controversial that was? Suddenly you had two armies that you could combine. Or the whole, like, well, this is a 1999 plus one army because if we make it a 2,000 point army, we have to allow two Force Org charts. And that's weird. (laughs) Uh, 6th edition added in Challenges, Overwatch, Overwatch. Uh, psychic disciplines got moved to the core rules um, they completely revamped how the psychic system worked and you were having to roll dice for each individual warp charge and figure out how many psychic dice you had uh, then uh, we had apocalypse materials getting rolled into the main game and so D weapons thunderstomp how to deal with super heavies and their and how damage worked for them which was kind of like for vehicles but not exactly um, warlord yeah. traits uh Uh, Random objectives. Remember, you know, mysterious objectives and how many games those screwed up? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, The rules section of the core book was eventually getting to be like over 100 pages long. Yeah. uh, uh, Of just like, this is how the game plays. It was getting very complex. Whereas by contrast, most of the codexes... Like the codexes were very heavy on fluff and then the unit profiles would be relatively small, especially from like fifth, fourth and fifth edition, especially stat lines, their weapon loadout. And there'd be a separate page where you would figure out like what you paid point wise for each, each unit. And then the list of like, here's the universal special rules that apply to them. And maybe they'll have like one or two like special like corner case abilities, not too complex, um, there are some exceptions to that. Like, for example, most codexes until sixth edition never had anything along the lines of sub-faction abilities, like what mm-hmm. we do, like chapter traits, things like that. Although the 3.5, the, th- the late third edition Chaos Space Marine codex, uh, is considered the high watermark of Chaos Space Marine codex design. Not really matched until the seventh edition Trader Legions book. Yeah. And, It had so many options for uh, customizing and making sure that you're, like, if you're playing Emperor's Children, it's going to play very different than Death Guard, or very different than World Eaters, or very different than Night Lords, but it was ridiculously complex. There's so many little weird, like, minor psychic powers, and, well, if you're playing this faction, you can take this unit from this other codex, but you give up these units from your own code, it's there's it's it's a mess fourth edition space marines had their own matrix on on how to build your own chapter which people abused the hell out of because like i'll just take this (laughs) i'll just take the uh the downside that doesn't apply to anything i actually took oh look i have it's all all ups and no downs and like we did see a few faction level abilities i mean like guard had the order system when we got the fifth edition uh uh, Dark Eldar slash Rukari Codex We've got Power from Pain, their version of that Which involved tracking Pain tokens, which was a mess um, Hey, I made had-
0: My own Pain tokens and still you Have some of them today yeah, <laughs> I don't use them for uh, anything. But
2: no, uh, Necron's got reanimation protocols redone. Have, have never had it done the same way in every Codex. Uh, same with Sisters and Faith points. Like there's some army special rules that have always been kind of weird. But those were outliers. Many armies were very simple. Like Blood Angels, it was just like you had Furious Charge. Some of your units had Fearless. Uh, like Space. You had like one or two it. other units that you could take and that others couldn't. But yeah, that was basically it. Right. It was basically simple. Once we got into 6th edition and 7th edition, we started seeing more stuff piled in from codexes and campaign books. You started seeing armies getting custom force org charts, like the original real space raid for the 6th edition Dark Eldar. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, yeah, I, I, I don't take many elites, but I take lots of fast attack and dedicated transports. Uh, you started getting formations. Uh I don't like that. Hey, the, they, they were
0: they, a blessing they, and a curse
2: at first they were cool and then they well actually I say at first they got cool one of the first ones was the adamantine lance for knights and that was bad uh, <laughs> but they and then much like Russian history somehow it got worse and uh, uh, campaign books added more things on top of that and eventually we started hitting codex like like real, real honest to goodness rule bloat uh formations were giving too many things away for free so balance started getting completely wonky i remember celebrating the last seventh edition midwest conquest because it meant yep. we would never have to deal with seven edition rules and rules interactions again
1: well and, and i remember like i walked through um i walked through and i counted up the tables i think that was i think we had like a hundred players in that one i think that was the The big, like the high water mark with the most we had. And Mm -hmm. I want to say that I think fully half had uh, the Riptide Wing formation in their armies. Mm -hmm. And like only like two people were actually playing Tau. Because if you took, if you were playing Tau and took three Riptides, they were worse than splashing a Riptide Wing into your Space Marine army.
2: (laughs) Right. (sighs) <sighs> it was <laughs> the game the game was I, I would honestly say it was collapsing under its own weight. Like yes, seventh edition. Was was getting very difficult to manage. And and we had a lot of the complaints that are now, uh, we hear echoed now, you had to bring, like, to play an army, you had to bring, like, to play a viable army, you had to bring so many books, because you'd have to bring your core book, you'd have to bring your, like, the primary codex, any allied codexes you were using, and the the campaign books, possibly plural, that contained any mm-hmm. special rules or formations that you were using. So, for example, those Those armies that were taking Riptide Wings also probably had the Angels of Death book that had all the Space Marine special rules and weird psychic powers, like, let's move this piece of terrain around. And that one had to be, had to be like eroded to not work properly anymore because it was the rules interactions, again, were ridiculous. And so, um, I mean, I, for a long time, like, you know, at least in recent history, like, that was the most complex the game ever got. And it was still fun, but it was a nightmare. (laughs) It was a fun nightmare. (laughs) And then we got 8th edition. 8th edition completely streamlined the game harmonized and unified so many rules. Vehicles now beha- behaved like everything else. Monsters behaved like vehicles which behaved like everything else. The way character, like, not having to figure out, like, okay, so what happens when this character is joined to this unit and they leave that unit and then they go join another <laughs> unit? Uh, that's gone yeah. because characters don't join units. Everything was built more around aura abilities. Uh, we got rid of challenges. Uh, we still had Overwatch. We still had Warlords and Warlord traits. But uh at least in, like, the core book, those were very simple. Army building was changing. The allied – we went to a keyword system rather than a weird matrix, you know, system for figuring out what you could run together. But at the same time, like, up until this point, like, I mentioned that, like, stat lines leaned heavily into those special rules. And I remember, th- like, having whole episodes where we talked about, like, how to deal with, like – a ter- like, what happens if, like, this guy with, like it- – Instant death hits this person with Eternal Warrior, and how do these interact, and feel no pain, and things like... But it was, like, all standardized. Like, it was... Like, you could just figure out, okay, so if these two rules hit each other, what happens? I mean,
1: keywords were were only such an important, like, core part of the game that we named the podcast after them. One of them.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Several yeah, podcasts like... were named after them. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, independent characters... Uh... Oh god there was a, the it used to heroic like, morale was the, it was it, a, heroic, heroic morale oh, and i guess it, it, yeah, is, yeah. it's a like club it's, but yeah they're technically...
1: yeah 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 <laughs> but like it's that's the thing it's like that's that's a whole thing like you get a whole bunch of these groups and podcasts and stuff that are all just named after that stuff so
2: yeah <laughs> right <laughs> eternal warriors that's the one i eternal warriors yeah, one, yeah yeah that's the one that i was in, that i that i was actually inspired to name our <laughs> preferred enemies by so but instead They decide, let's get rid of all those universal special rules, and instead, we're going to have every unit have its own version of bespoke rules, which means there's not one rule, for example, for Deep Strike. Everybody's got their own Deep Strike rule. Those rules may be stated in exactly the same fashion and wording, but they're all going to be different. They're all going to be different, differently named, but they're going to function the, the same way. Like, nobody's got to feel no pain, but everybody's got, quote-unquote, feel no pain. Like, there's feel no pain everywhere. <laughs> it's just we're going to call it different things because, well, maybe it's on a five-up, or maybe it's on a six-up, or maybe on a four-up, or maybe it's only against mortal yeah. wounds. Army building changed. We You could now take multiple detachments. You didn't necessarily have to take troops, although then we got objective security added, which made troops better. Um, although I think Objective Secured may have come in at seventh, it gets a little blurry after a point. Um, but uh, also, starting in Eighth Edition, every codex with a couple of uh, a couple of examples that where they got added later, like Custodes did not have subfactions until they were added in Psychic Awakening to prep them for Ninth Edition, but most armies had subfactions the way that Space Marines had chapters, and those chapters would have... They'd have a rule, and they might unlock a particular relic, and they'd probably pr- add a particular stratagem. That was another thing that was new in 8th edition. Stratagems, which started out with, like, three gen- generic ones, and then we got,
0: like, 20 to 30 or more per codex. I mean, I view stratagems a lot like I viewed formations. At first, they came in. They're pretty cool. Oh, they're they're moving all these special rules that you might use once in a blue moon to a stratagem. Oh, that's neat. And then like formations. Oh my gosh, there's so many of them. Yeah,
2: and it's and just within a single book too. Yeah. <laughs> well, the big thing is in
1: eighth uh, as well. Like in eighth edition, the problem with stratagems is there was such a, like an imbalance between how who would have command points and how they worked. Ninth edition has normalized that, so that's not the problem. Now it's just the bulk. But for a while, like, in 8th edition, some armies were just better because they had boatloads of command points so they could reuse stratagems and they could use all these special rules that a Custode's army, for example, couldn't because we get, like, three command points and that's it.
0: The Lucky 42 or something
1: like that?
2: Right. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the Lucky 32, because yeah, like- it was it was your two, your two HQs and three troops to... To get your guard battalion, or like your guard battalion, yeah, yeah. to get your like extra six or nine command points. Mm. Ugh.
3: So well, which ninth like, we did didn't fix like that, that at I the
2: liked. time. Yeah, ninth edition yeah. fixed that. And ninth edition, but we also, at the end of eighth edition, we had the Space Marine Codex supplements. And that's when we started seeing the hints of what was to come. Because that's when we, like, they had done the Doctrine thing in, like, 6th and 7th edition codexes where it's like, okay, once per game you can declare Assault Doctrine. And then you can declare, and you can declare Tactical Doctrine and Devastator Doctrine. You can use those once each. And I was like, okay, I get that. that that's fine. 8th edition, at the end, we got the Doctrine where it's like, you start in Devastator and then eventually you switch to tactical and then eventually you switch to assault and those armies that were really good in dev- like iron hands that were really good in devastator doctrine alpha struck people off the board <laughs> and those armies that were only good in assault doctrine struggled because they had to get to that third stage but but that's where we first saw like the idea of like here's this mechanic that shifts and morphs through the game Ninth edition started to double down on that. Not so much in the core rules. I think the core rules stayed pretty streamlined. And in this episode, even, we've talked about how much we like having this appendix where it's like, oh, hey, there are these rare rule interactions where we can spell out all these weird corner cases. We can address them ahead of time. And there's a glossary and an index and everything's clearly bullet pointed out and spe- spelled out, uh, you know, term by term and section by section. So the rules are, they're a bit longer, but they're easier to parse. Um, they added things that people had wanted, like terrain rules like clear trait slash universal rule based terrain rules so it's like hey this piece of terrain has light cover and uh or maybe it's obstructing or maybe it's difficult terrain it's like it's just it's just easy to assign keywords to particular pieces of terrain to know how they behave uh we fixed the command point issues so that uh you didn't have to take weird army constructions to get the th- the the command points you wanted. So every like you said, everybody had access to stratagems now and could use them just as much as everyone else. In fact, you're regenerating command points every turn. But then that led to more abusive stratagems by everyone and more like where a stratagem like might be that one clutch thing that you do once per game, but it's really going to help you in a pinch. Now it's just like, oh yeah, and I've got this stratagem that makes me like this awesome, and this stratagem that like combos with this one, or the combos with this ability, or shuts down this other thing. But we also got a change in mission design. Up until now most tournaments were handle handling missions via like the ITC or maybe the renegade format where we kind of leaned into the whole player selected secondary objectives. Like your primary objective whole is hold these objectives, but maybe your secondary is like kill the biggest unit or kill these specific units, things like that. And so we saw games workshop, take that model and recreate it with these, the current mission structure with like the secondary objectives where you pick three of them at the beginning of the game But now maybe you pick one from your codex and now you need to keep track of like, well, what are the options I have in my codex? Which one will fit this game better or which one will fit my army build better? We've got more of factions that use those rules that shift from round to round. We've got faction specific special upgrades, which were originally only showing up in the Psychic Awakening books that transitioned us from 8th to ninth edition. And now we're seeing in every codex. And every codex gets its own special version of them that behave a little bit differently, but similarly to everything else. There's more emphasis on having sub-faction rules where you can build your own sub-faction. Again, stuff we saw in Psychic Awakening that is now just in the main codexes for most books, you know, for most factions.
0: To be fair, I like those because I like building my own fluff
2: For fluff, yeah, those are fantastic, but it's an extra set of rules you've got to keep track of. Most times you don't use them, but some people, like Dark Technomancers, for example, from Dukari, get abused because they're not necessarily as well balanced as everything else. Then you've got campaign books adding Codex supplements, armies of renown, white dwarfs doing the same thing, which is where we saw. Crusher Stampede, which now, you know, has been removed from the game, but was daring to make Tyranids nigh unbeatable because it layered with all their other new stuff and got even better. Um, The math has shifted because Marines were really good at the beginning of the edition, and then they're like, okay, well, we need to improve lethality to make Marines harder to deal with. And now the math is skewed in such a way that they need to pull it back hence the addition of the armor contempt rule so now you're also having to keep track of the balance data slates and are we getting back to that 7th edition layer of of Codex bloat, uh, not, not, not necessarily power creep, although power, power creep is an issue, but this isn't so much about power creep as it is having so many layered interactions that A, it is hard to keep track of and B, it is hard to balance. Uh, another one of, uh, Arbiter Ian's videos is talking about the mental weight. That it takes the mental impact of trying to keep all of your army's rules in one place in your head and knowing what your army does. And if you're people like us where we play multiple armies, that gets, ex- I'd say, almost yeah, exponentially yeah. harder. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so, like, have we reached that point where the game is getting, I don't want to say necessarily too complex, but uncomfortably complex?
0: My thoughts are no. But it's close, and I'll I'll just look at what you said there about armies. Is I think if I focused on one army, I could learn it and be fine. Multiple armies, yes. It's it's starting to get more taxing, and that's why I guess I'll say I'm in awe of some of the competitive players that know like twelve armies at the drop of a hat, and that's kind of what what they do is because you have to know your opponent. But that's a lot of fatigue and they, they can pull it off while I can maybe know two or three at a time. It seems like. Mm-hmm. And as for the, the code, I think having the balanced data slates is good, especially because we want those balances that we want those revisions, but we, we kind of, they kind of have it in the facts of here's, here's that. And they're keeping on updating them, which is nice because I, where I struggle is with the white dwarf and all the compendiums. Like mm-hmm. you said earlier, Rob, I, I like compendiums for like a story, a narrative, history, and cool stuff. But yeah, maybe if we kept the compendiums for smaller things like inquisitors, assassins, things that don't really ever get their own codex, and everything else in there is just for campaign, that would be cool. But like you said, that would be a struggle for them to sell as many. And right. I, I will be honest, I don't like having new rules in White Dwarf. Because yeah. then you've got to take a collection of white dwarfs with you if you pull rules from different things, and I know people will say, "Well, it's a very thin magazine, and not everyone." But picks it adds up a white dwarf up. all the that, time. Yes, right,
2: yeah. And if you have but, two or three white dwarfs, you need that's just as bad as having a book. No, totally, yeah. totally agree there.
1: Well, I think one of the things that GW has gotten better about, but could still could still do better, is digital rules and like getting you know getting the app to the point where all of this stuff is collated and accessible easier because like if you then have to just take your phone and your phone has all the rules for your army that makes some
0: of that a lot easier and that would be wonderful i just yeah <sighs> they'll pass the, the past few yeah. times i've tried the app i i have not been pleased with it and i, I i've truthfully been tired of writing them like bug letters so i, I uh, that's <laughs> no they the, they i agree. did finally <laughs> fix i would say they did finally fix my death
2: guard points issue that's been resolved <laughs>
0: And and to be fair on their point, they have fixed every issue I've I've done a bug report about on them. It's just yeah. I got tired of doing that for just about every codec. Yeah.
1: yeah, no, I, I agree. They need to get better with the app. So like they they have definitely they're not to the point where the app is like the the end all be all solution for it. But I think that's a way to fix some of this um and to collate some of the rules. I think some of the things we talked about earlier of like reprinting the balance data slate or the big FAQ. In the season pack for like tournament players. So you buy, you know, the, the summer 2022, you know, book that has the missions and it includes the balanced data slate changes and the FAQs. That's great. Like do that there. And it reprints the core rules, you know, in that book. So you only have one thing that you need to take when you go to a tournament that That would be great, and that would be a very easy way to knock out some of the burden of having to carry all these extra books um and I, and I think they're taking steps in the right right direction by like putting expiration dates on these campaign books and kind of setting that precedent hopefully of codex comes out, all of this stuff is invalid, and here's the new stuff that helps, and that steps in the right direction, but yeah, it is there de- there definitely is bloat for factions out there that that can become unwieldy for for players on the flip side of that though like all of the bloat in this edition unlike what or i think this is better than where we were in seventh or you know sixth and seventh towards the end is all of the bloat is on the faction side so if you're going to an event so you're going to the u.s open event you're going to your local gt whatever you only have to worry about what you're bringing in your faction and like you know, a month in advance, you get your list together, you get your army together, and then you put all the stuff you need for that. And then you don't have to worry about what the other sub factions, the other stuff is. There's upfront list building bloat and complexity, but once you're there, then you can kind of focus in on just what you're bringing. So I I prefer that better than like the, you know, 200 USRs and 150 pages of like Core rules that you have to, you know, flip through when you're when you're playing a game in sixth or seventh. So, it's different, but I, I personally prefer this style of design
2: well and that that raises another question and and like getting into like what are the causes of of this complexity it's definitely the complexity is being loaded in at the army level Um, in in his video on on how much brain space is being used like where does the complexity lie uh, Ian does point out that we've gone from the complexity being at the core rule level to being at the army level it's like and there was a period where like at one point where like it was starting to show up at the unit level but it's definitely settled in like the army-wide rules level, the codex levels, that's where the difficulty is.
0: I'll be weird and say I think it started with Index 40K at uh, the start of 8th edition. And I know you'll say that sounds weird because that's when everything was streamlined, but that's when they made a big push to make every unit feel and act like it does in the fluff. And th- we praised them for it. And, but as the rules have gotten more complex, they've added more on, now they have to add more on to those individual units to still make them feel cool.
1: Well, right. so so one thing with with game design as a principle, and you see this this is why you you periodically get you know fifth edition D anD D fourth edition D anD D et cetera, you get these refreshes of these rule systems, is they're built as a framework, and you're constantly at you know game design in this tabletop RPG space is you're constantly adding stuff to it, and you never really subtract. You're always adding more complexity, and eventually it gets to the point where you need to reset. You know, and go through, and like that's again, when you talk about like third edition was a great rule set. By the time it evolved and got to seventh, it was kludgy and unwieldy because they just kept adding to it and they never took away from it. You know, eighth, eighth, ninth designs kind of the same way. I don't think it's nearly to that point yet, but we're adding to it and we're constantly adding complexity and we're never taking anything away.
2: Well, there have been – there's one one instance in particular where they did take things away, and it has pissed pissed a lot of people off for a very long time, and it's that aforementioned – 3.5 chaos space Marine codex. If you compare that to the fourth edition chaos space Marine codex, the fourth edition chaos space Marine codex is bland and flavorless by comparison. The units, like (laughs) there's no way to make a chaos space Marine army for one legion that really plays all that differently other than in what units you take. Um, and like the marks are kind of there, but there were just like basic stat upgrades. They didn't do anything else. Well, um, demon,
1: demons in the fourth edition codex are just one stat line. It's you take a right. chaos demon and you can use whatever, you know, you can use pink horse, you can use blood letters, but they play exactly
2: the same. Right. And, and that's kind of like I remember we're um, like index 40K when we fr- like index 40K shifting to that for, from the armies we had in seventh edition, all the special rules and things we had like that and going into the index Index 40k felt, had that same kind of feel, like, man, they just took away, like, all the warlord traits and all the Mm -hmm. special abilities we're used to. It felt, by comparison, very bland. I think what's kind of interesting is Games
1: Workshops, as a company, I think they've kind of shifted from the game being and it, maybe it never really was like balanced or whatever, but I think they've definitely shifted more towards the narrative aspects of the world as black library gets more popular as they're publishing the Horus heresy books, adding in more depth and character and flavor to space Marine chapters, space Marine legions, Eldar, Tau, et cetera. So now when they're designing the game, that, that feedback loop is hitting the stuff that comes up in the black library novels is getting included into the game. Like, well, we play you know, d- displayed in fiction that Eldar work this way. So let's give you an option to do that, and like that's a smart design because it reinforces if you got into the hobby by reading the books. Now you can play that army in, you know, from a book on the table or vice versa. But it, it means that like you get a more flavorful game. You have a lot more flexibility to make fluffy army designs and stuff. But if you're just, you know, but it also opens up all these other options for people to abuse and make combos and stuff like that. So I think it it cu- largely depends on how you're looking at 40k. If you're looking at 40k as like, I'm playing this competitively, and I want to build the best combos, yeah, you need to be aware of every little faction and every little fluff thing that comes up, and every little thing that you can combo together to interact at that high level. But if you're just kind of a casual player, it's like, well, I read the um, the Ephraim Stern-, Stern novel, and I want to make uh, a sister's army that does that now i have rules for it boom i can make that army and there we go so i i think it's i think it depends on like how we're referring to it or what like context we're taking into it whether the rules bloat is bad or not because i'm sure casual players that only play one or two armies are like no the rules bloat's fine there's no rules bloat but somebody who plays competitively and wants to be aware say somebody that runs a podcast or somebody that's a TO or somebody that's a high level competitive player they want to know everything, and there is a lot to know in this edition. So I, I think that angle and that view of it also matters.
2: Now I will say, um, and this is this is anecdotal. This is this is just based on commentary I've seen online. But what's what's interesting is like – and again, we'll be talking about one-page rules a bit later, but I've been browsing their forums in preparation for this episode, like your subreddits and their Discord and such. And one of the points I often see is from the people who are more casual, who are like, I just want to spend time rolling dice and moving army men around with a friend. I don't have the time to learn all the rules interactions for this game So 40K now feels too complex because I can't, it's, it's hard, it's harder for people to casually pick up from time to time without having to relearn how all these rules work. And, and going back to that, that quote from the, the uh, OPR Reddit where it's like, maybe I just want to play a Super Smash Brothers moment rather than playing, you know, Street Fighter where I have to be like, learn all the the frame moves if i'm playing casually against a friend and that is again I it's totally disagrees with that
0: pers- super smash okay. brothers has frame motion too and you it, can get it a does, super- it does it so, does i mean I, I don't like that argument
2: well but that, like, that so- is fair <laughs> but, but but i i would say the the the
1: argument that i would also say for that for like the casual perspective is you know if you're if dennis and i wanted to meet on saturday and play a game and we don't want to deal with stratagems Hey, Dennis, do you want to play with stratagems? Oh, you don't? Okay, cool. We just won't bring stratagems.
0: Well, and and Kevin, that goes back to what all of us have talked about on episodes ages ago of the agreement, like the player's agreement of you and your opponent can agree how you want to play the game and just set it up ahead of time. But since... Outside of a friend circle, you don't have that agreement. Yeah. The tournament scene is kind of become the de facto agreement, yeah. and the, the no, tournament agree. scene is kind of based on the rules that are printed in the game.
1: No, and I agree with that, and like I think that's fair. But it's I don't know. It's just one of those where like if you're not if you're not playing competitively, like you can actually like hey you can have those conversations. But like you know I don't want to do this or I don't want to engage with these parts of the system. Or like again, if you want to. You know, if if you decide that, like, I'm just going to go play at the store, I don't want to deal with stratagems, yeah, I'm just going to show up and I'm just not going to worry about stratagems. Like, the, there's, again, it depends, I think, what you're trying to get out of the game and stuff. So it's, you know, I, I agree that, yeah, that the game is popular enough and enough people like play with the, you know, the baked in assumptions that like, yeah, if I'm going to play rando, we're going to play a certain way, but maybe that needs to change. Maybe that's part of it, too, that the that needs to change within the community
2: and i i don't think you're you're wrong in that those conversations uh, you know what what in the uh magic the gathering commander circle would be called like like rule mm-hmm. 0 where you have that discussion with like what kind of game are we wanting to play uh yeah. but uh again i'm going to re- refer back to another arbiter ian video his video on um cleaning up open play like making a variety because he makes a very good statement that of the the, you know there's that whole three ways to play open play narrative play match Mm. play and said of those the only one that is actually played is match play narrative play is very rare outside of dedicated narrative events most people most people probably do not play narrative casually. And because – especially with all the rules that have been stacked on top of it with Crusade, which I think the complexity of those have also been getting more and more ridiculous. And I like – I love some of the ideas. Like the Tyranid one is built around consuming biomass on planets and moving from different stages of an invasion. It's very cool. It's also a lot of bookkeeping, but at least it's being done between games and not during games, although it can mm-hmm. change what you take in a game. Same thing with like Tau where you're like trying to – uh colonize and take over a star system it's like there's a lot of cool systems but it's a lot to keep track of and so match play kind of becomes the de facto style of play because if you go to a tournament it's match play if you go to a friendly tournament it's likely match play if you go to a store for a pickup game it's likely match play and if you're going to play with your friends you're probably so used to playing match play that you're probably going to play match play (laughs) so um, again like it it is uh, an
1: issue yeah (laughs) No. And, and like I said, I think that maybe that's the thing that needs to change. And like, because in Magic, there are different settings, there are different formats, there are different blocks. Maybe that's, you know, maybe we need to create, you know, maybe GW needs to work on creating different formats and different different ways to play and like, act- and actually support them. <laughs>
0: Okay. I was about to say GW has been, but it's, it's the support and, and and truthfully, I'm like, yeah, I was, I was really hoping when the US Opens came around last year that they were going to have the different ways because they put a lot of emphasis on the hobby portion of it. And so the way they kind of delved out the different ways to play was, well, there wasn't a narrative, but there was, if you're more casual, well, you'll just get dropped down after the first couple day or the first day and a half and then you'll have your fun tournament. And I'm like,
2: but, you, well, but yeah. that's still a day and <laughs> a half of getting rolled by the hardcore tournament players you run into. Yeah. Which yeah, can be bad, a yeah. not good time. Yeah.
0: I mean, but even like though I had scar- a lot of fun.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, like, getting into the individual components of... What has made the game more complex? Um, like, and the arguments for each of these components individually can easily be made. Um, stratagems. I think stratagems were originally devised as a form of interactivity, like giving you something to do on your opponent's turn or in response to something your opponent did. For example, interrupting the assault phase, you know, in in eighth edition, that was such a key thing to be able to do.
0: The other thing stratagems were good for is um, taking things out of your unit blocks. Mm-hmm. Something that you might that would be like, here's your extra powers you get, but they're only active at the times. So, well, now they're a stratagem, so they don't take up that space, and you'll probably forget about them. But they're there if you want to use them, and the situation comes up
2: right. And there's like there's a whole resource management element of the game, which again at a, at the basic level where it kind of was in Eighth Edition, it wasn't bad. Like it was most, you'd have like two or three stratagems that that you would use with any regularity, and then you'd have the generic ones, and maybe you had the data cards to keep track of that. But a lot of the stratagems you wouldn't necessarily need to know about. And now there's so many stratagems, and I'd argue like we've gotten even further down that line with like now war gear gives you keywords which unlock stratagems Mm -hmm. that you have to now remember to use if you want to get those same effects. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Sub faction, which the balancing on those has been problematic. We've had a number of those that have been needed to edit or have needed to be edited or updated. Um, you, a lot of factions are getting that transhuman physiology style stratagem where it's like, oh, yeah, you don't wound me if you roll a one to three. And it's like it's all that's almost becoming ubiquitous as mm-hmm. as just a thing that factions get. And are, are stratagems still providing those useful actions you do to, like, during your opponent's turn? Or are they now just becoming more about, like, I'm just going to make my army invincible and really good at what it does? Like, is, is it just about using com- – basically creating stratagem combos to win?
0: That's what I feel it like.
2: Uh, also, moving, like, at unit rules. Like, we've talked about, like, they're becoming – <laughs> they're they're unique from faction to faction from unit to unit and we've seen a little bit of movement where it's like okay so we're going to have some faction specific rules at the start of the data sheet section that we'll see that you'll see on multiple things and so like they're they're not quite universal special rules but they're like codex special rules but even then you've got the codex special rule that is always the deep strike special rule or the codex infiltrate rule or the codex um like forward movement rules, like yeah, but we could just make, put a common definition for those in the key in the core book. You could have like two pages of some of these very basic special rules, and mm-hmm. it would be fine. And then you wouldn't have to like, like even like I we talked about in the Tyranid Codex, death throws instead of exploding and hitting everything, you only hit the nearest enemy unit, and that's cool. But it's one more thing you have to remember that is different than everything else, and it's just. You're getting – and it also causes, like, well, okay, so this unit explodes on a six. This unit explodes on a five. This one explodes on a six, but it does one mortal wound. This one explodes on a six and does D3 mortal wounds. And then this one, they've got a strat that can just make it explode or makes it explode on a four up. Um, So you've got that level of interaction and, and rules that do not behave the same. And then on top of that, you've got relics, warlord traits, psychic powers, non-psychic psychic psychic powers like prayers and invocations that work kind of like that, but not exactly. You've got uh, the stratagems that will let you take multiple relics and multiple warlord traits. So now you don't just have to worry about one warlord trait, you have to worry about the interactions of two or three of them from three different characters. And then, on top of that, you've got, like, the army, like, the character upgrades. Upgrading somebody to a chapter master, or adding a prototype war gear, or this uh, making this orc unit part of a specialist mob. All those upgrades, which cost points and or power level, and add new new favorite or new features to units or to your army and there was a video on how many things does games workshop have to balance in 40k and this was a few months ago so it's not the most up-to-date list but at the time he went through and not counting unit war gear setups not counting that he tabulated, and it was rough. He admitted it was a rough count because he, he tried to not double count anything that gave the same army the same ability twice. But he came down to around 4,600 individual elements that Games Workshop would need to juggle to properly balance the game. When you added in unit le- loadouts, it was anywhere from... 5,500 and that was an extremely conservative count assuming that like every unit has on average has three possible options Mm -hmm. to going up to as many as like 9,800 like just shy of 10,000 possibilities or you know 10,000 options to take and that's and he then compared that to if we compare it to magic specifically magic and standard because if you look at like commander where everything is pretty much legal other than a small band list. I mean, there's tens of thousands of cards, but in standard, which is the main competitive format, there are 2200 roughly cards in rotation at any given time. So you've got a game that has a tighter rule set than 40 K and like half to maybe a fifth of the frat of the elements to to manage. And also fun fact, even then you know, Wizards of the Coast screws up the balance on magic sometimes horribly. <laughs> so it's not like they're bulletproof, but saying, like, imagine how much harder Games Workshop has it to balance the game. So just yeah. think about how many elements that, like, some armies were good. Like, some armies only had, like, maybe 150 elements to to manage mentally, whereas Space Marines had easily a, a, close to a 1,000. And again, that wasn't counting loadouts. That was just, like, individual, like, units relics warlord traits stratagems things like that like over like almost a thousand so that's a lot to to keep in one's head that's a lot of moving pieces and that doesn't even get to as we mentioned all the other books you might have to take to get the rules for your particular sub-faction if there's been a codex supplement of, released for it or you're playing a, pr- a particular army of renown mm-hmm and now we've actually got a document that's been released to keep track of what supplements are and aren't legal at the current <laughs> time, with expiration dates on them. That's n- better, but also not <laughs> right. Like yeah, it what. just it just <laughs> shines a bright light onto how difficult the the situation is.
0: I, I don't think it's difficult. I think it's impossible, and I think those numbers kind of prove it. And I think they're doing what the best they can. But
2: yeah.
1: Well, I, I always I always think back to oh gosh, the the under under discussion podcast we did. And I want to say it was like I think you were on the episode, Rob, cuz I think we were talking about 4th edition D&D specifically and mm-hmm. the issues and the problems we were having playing that. And somebody that was on the podcast made the point that like when you re- you you release a game, like it's the world's largest playtest basically because right. you're putting it out in the wild. Like you can solve all the issues that you think you see. And then you put it out in the wild, and, like, it goes from a couple dozen or a couple hundred people at best to now thousands or millions of people playing it. And they're going to pick it apart, and they're going to find all of the the things that you missed or didn't think of. And, like, there's – yes, you're right. Like, Warhammer is incredibly complicated. There's a lot of things to balance. There's never going to be able to balance all of that perfectly. So it's like – I don't know. Like, I – the two options, I guess, are – kind of what they're doing where they're trying to balance a flavorful fluffy game with a rich backstory and background or you go you know not not to not to put it in a bad light or anything or you go the other like one page rule version of it where you strip out a lot of the complexity and a lot of the flavor and i don't like that either <laughs> like that and that's well, pres- that's preference that's personal preference uh, i get that
0: uh, is there a middle ground that, that we have no confirmation of at all but we we Think it might happen of 30k being the balanced game. Exactly.
1: No, and that's the thing is like maybe there is a maybe there is a middle ground in there where and and I think with 40k, like if you do things like clean up how the stratagems work or something like that, or you know limit some of those, or or take some of these elements out or tone them down, I think 40k is much closer to being that middle ground than it is being the overwhelming rules bloat it was in sixth or seventh edition, in my opinion. But yeah, like maybe thirty k is kind of that middle ground. Maybe, maybe thirty k is going to have the same issues and have stratagems and rules bloat in the same in the same way. I, I don't
0: know. Yeah, like, but if yeah. all players have access to the same ones, because I mean, thirty k is just all space marines. I mean, space, Marine mostly, and well, yeah, but space there's
2: the, Marines and KF. Well, space marines, space marines, but also there are there is support for mechanicus and kind of like a proto guard. Like, Solar auxiliaries, But it's it's, it's primarily Space Marines versus Space Marines.
1: It's like five or six factions instead of, you know, 20 or whatever.
0: Um, And truthfully, some more of the bloats happened in 40k, as every edition we get, like, at least two, or probably, like, one to two new factions.
2: Yeah.
1: And And that adds even more rules. (laughs) I've seen a bunch of people, like, on 40k forums, whatever, complaining about Leagues of Votan, because they're like, why are we adding more factions to this game that isn't balanced? And I'm like... I look at that and I'm like, but I like more options. <laughs> you know, so like, but I get it. Like, if you're a competitive player and this is like your primary focus, that's it, another this is the thing, worst thing. You have to get yeah. in balance. But like, it, it's, it's clear to me, Games Workshop doesn't look at this as a competitive game. And there's a whole other conversation about that, about whether they should or shouldn't. You know, well, and they've and said that for the past part. 10 years. <laughs> but like, it's very clear to me that they don't view it this way. They view this as a historical war game. Like, do you play narrative war games in their universe? And, like, that's fine. I like that. And, again, I, I like being able to build the fluffy armies that do the things from the books or do the cool things that like, I have in my head. Like, I,
0: I, I, I don't, don't know you can call it historical when it's set in 40,000 years in the future, though. But,
1: but you know what I mean? Like, it's it's, <laughs> it's, yes, I know what it's you mean. historical viewpoint of, like, we're looking to recreate the Badab War. We're looking to recreate, you know, the Battle at Istan 5 and all this because, like... We want to build it so that you can muster those forces and play those styles of battles and recreate this from a video game or this from a book or this from a comic. Like, and I think that's more of their primary focus than, you know, can Richard Siegler show up to an event with Tau and, you know, wipe everybody off the board? I don't think they the
2: answer can, is yes. And he did that before they, the Tau Codex got fixed. Sure.
1: They're dedicating more resources <laughs> to thinking about the competitive side of it, but that's still not their focus maybe and maybe it should be maybe they need to maybe they need to do more to kind of delineate the competitive play and the narrative and fluffy play i don't know i don't know how you would do
2: that so so actually that and that brings us to the next section it's kind of the last section of the discussion is well, what do, okay so we've established the game is complex whether it is too mm-hmm. complex or not is i think up to personal debate uh, dennis it sounds like you are skewing towards the it is complex but not quite at collapse yet. Right. And Kevin, you're like, it's complex, but I kind of like the complex. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, that's my preference. But again, I
1: know that it's different, different to
2: taste, you know, I, uh, Richard, where, where are you coming in
1: on I, this?
3: I, I, I fall in, um, I haven't played in two years, so I don't care. <laughs> you just want to play. I've just assembled <laughs> miniatures, painted stuff, and, Maybe at some point I'll put miniatures on the table and I'll figure out how the rules work then.
0: <laughs> Richard, come to come to the friendly. You and I can play. <laughs> um.
2: <laughs> uh, it's so and and I think I am on the the I'm on the page of I do think the game it, I think I don't think it's reached a collapse point, but I do think. I'm seeing it as getting too complex. Like I'm look the 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 layering, like the individual systems and the layering of them together, I'm finding to be complex for the sake of I think for the sake of flavor, but flavor breeds complexity. Um yeah. and, and like the example that always sticks in my mind is when we've talked about in a, a past past episode when uh when 7th edition redid the pink horrors to put in the split rule, where like when they died, they split into new units. And remember how many people abused those because they were written very poorly because they were written from a fluff standpoint. They were written from a complete flavor standpoint. And on, from a flavor standpoint, they succeeded wildly. But from a mechanic standpoint, they were terrible to the point where they basically had to say, yeah, you can't actually use this in a in a competitive game because it just isn't not it isn't meant for that. Yeah, and it's I, like that's that I we haven't hit anything quite that egregious but there's like there's the argument to be made for that you to get the complexity you need the f- or to get the flavor you want you need the complexity to have those options which I think is where you're coming down Kevin. Yes, yes yeah, very much. Yeah, very much. So. And and I and, and I see it as but there's a cost and are yeah, we and is I, that a cost we want to pay?
0: And <laughs> yeah. I think Rob I'm with you on the fact that I'm not sure that I'm fond of turn-by-turn turn rule changes. I would kind of like to have the armies, like, here's your army, here's the rules for it, let's just play. But I think it's the the doctrines that every, every turn the rules change to be something mm-hmm. different. I think that means you're not exactly playing one game. You're kind of like playing three to five games based on how long, how many turns the game goes. Because mm-hmm. the rules change every turn. And I think that's where I think the complexity could get too much going forward right and and even among
2: that there's so many like there's at least six different factions that have variations on that and none of them function the same way some of them like necrons you have to decide at the start of the game uh or and custodes is similar but even custodes has more flexibility as when they can do that space marines have less flexibility Uh, Admech can pick something new every turn. Drukari, there's just changes as the game goes on. Tau, it depends on which one you pick, and then that changes what turns they activate. And then that also changes what stratagems you can use when. And yeah, so you're each like if you've got two of those armies playing against each other, you're playing like three or four games at the same time. And, and that doesn't even get into things like Death Guard where you have auras, but they're not auras. So aura abilities don't interact with them, mm-hmm. but they grow every turn and they might do one or two different things depending on what sub faction you picked and whether you use this stratagem or not. It's like, that's, that's where it's like, I think I'm fine up until some of the army special, army wide special rules that get added on top of it. And it's a frosting on top of the cake that make, that is making the cake start to sink. Yeah, no, that's fair.
1: I think I think there's certainly elements of those rules and things that have been added on in newer codexes that that don't necessarily be there, just add, like, kind of unnecessary complexity, because, you know, I, like, for example, I am perfectly fine with Space Marines having chapter tactics, and even, like, the tactical doctrines. Like, that kind of makes sense for Space Marines. Mm-hmm. What I don't necessarily need is, oh, well, Space Marines have sub factions and tactical doctrines. So we have to create a version of that for every new codex. And I'm like, no, Tao don't play that way. They don't have, you know, that, that level of difference between that. So maybe they don't need as many sub factions or they don't need, you know, all all of that same flexibility. And like, that's maybe also a reason why you play space Marines, because yeah, I have the ability to play space Marines this way, this way, or this way, but like Tao, no, they, they mostly play the same. Like I, they have gone, I think they have overstepped in a couple of places on some of the army complexity stuff. But again, my personal preference is I would rather the game have more of that than less of it.
2: So, so looking at, at we, we kind of come to, well, there, we agree there's complexity. Mm-hmm. We, we feel differently about it. Um, so there's, a few directions you can go in as far as addressing this. One direction, which is the, I'd say the very far opposite of this is what something we've mentioned several times in this episode. And that's one page rules, which if you go to onepagerules.com, uh, it's basically a set of army or a set of gaming rules. And the idea is these are relatively simple war games, uh, which happen to be in a couple of cases analogs for, well, analogs for Warhammer 40k, uh, yeah. Warhammer 40k kill team, uh, Age of Sigmar, Age of Sigmar skirmish. And they even have one that is regiment based. So old school Warhammer fantasy role play. So it's like yeah. they've, and they are very clearly when I say analogs, I mean, they have army books, well, army sheets, army files that have, that are analogs for all the 40k factions with the serial numbers filed off. To the point where there's Battle Brothers and there's Prime Brothers. And those are mm-hmm. two different armies that you can mix and match. And um, under the Battle Brothers, well, there's, you can play the Dark Brothers, the Blood Brothers, the Wolf Brothers, the Grey Brothers. <laughs> and it's like, oh, oh, really? That That's what we're doing now. So... But it came about as and uh, Kevin, you said that it actually premiered like eight years ago, like the first iteration yeah. of this, and yeah. so obviously seeing- that 's a time when we 're in like sixth and seventh edition mm-hmm.
1: so yeah that that's the era of you know we're adding different factions and we're at, you know phases to the game we're we 're adding on sub factions we're adding you know the rules bloat got really far and wide, like we had one hundred and thirty pages of core rules, all this stuff like that, so then coming out with a a one-page, finger quotes, which I'll get to in a moment, Um, one-page rule set was a drastic departure. But now, like, in 8th and ninth edition, at least from the core rulebook perspective, it's way different on the army level, but on the core book perspective, the one-page rules PDF for their uh, Grimdark Future rules, yeah, is a 16-page PDF. And granted, like, one of them is a Patreon, one of them is a cover page, so it's really 14 pages of rules. The core rules for Warhammer 40k that can be found on warhammer40k.com are 26 pages, but three of those are dedicated to missions, and there's a couple pages at the beginning to, like, read through the rules. So, really, it's, I think, 18 pages compared to 12. Like, the core rules are definitely a lot closer in scale between the two games now. Now, that was drastically different in 7th edition, but I I think... And I think in some ways, like GW probably took inspiration from some of the fact that like the games warhammer, you know, war uh, tabletop wargaming was going towards more streamlined rules and quicker play and stuff like that. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: I, I'm not going to say they were influenced directly by one page rules, but I'm sure that, that that was that they saw that trend coming. So I think the cool right. rules are much more in line now than they used to be.
2: Yeah. Now, if you look at the actual, like, the rules for one-page rules, and the reason they do call that is, like, originally, and there's a there's a compressed version of the rules that fits on mm-hmm. uh, a, one double-sided piece of paper. But, like, to actually get rules with, like, illustrations and examples and yeah. things like that, yeah, it, it does come out to about, like, 12 to 14 pages of rules.
1: And it, and it does kind of go to my point earlier of, like, ru- any rule set as it exists, you add to it, and that's just game design you add to rules you add to things you add stuff to it so even you know the rules have expanded since they were originally created because every edition of every game does that maybe at some point they'll reset it and they'll go back to you know a more streamlined rule set but
2: that's
1: that's game design baby like that's that's how this all works
2: (laughs) (laughs) right but like if you looked through this document at like you would be forgiven for thinking oh this is just basically like I don't say it's exactly like ninth, but it it's like, it reminds me in some ways of like a fusion of like fourth and ninth because yeah. it, because like in ninth edition, it has like, it's got the same phases uh, or not. Well, not exactly phases, but it's got like, it's got the same movement rules, the same coherency rules. You can put hero characters in units. Uh, you can mm. declare charges and, and, the The basics there's consolidation moves and things like that it's like it it feels very forty k yeah um the the notable differences are first off they lean very heavily into universal special rules a- anything mm. that can be codified as a, a universal special rule is, and that includes weapon qualities unit abilities things like that also speaking of units, units have two stats besides they have well they have their point cost but they have two functional stats. They have a quality and they have a defense rating. They don't have a movement. Everybody moves the same unless they have the fast special rule or the mm. very fast special rule that a couple of armies have. Your quality is the same as your weapon skill, your ballistic skill, and your morale. It's all one thing, and it's the set up the same way. It's on a it's a number plus. Like you have to roll like a two plus three plus etc. And then your defense, which is basically your armor save. That's it. That's your only thing. Uh, attacking is very similar to the way it works in 40k with the difference of there's no wound rule. If you hit someone, you wound them, and then they, they, make a def- they make a defense check, and if they fail a defense, they take a wound, and almost everything in the game that doesn't have the tough special rule has one wound. Mm-hmm. The other functionally biggest change is alternating activations rather than you go, I go. You know, rather than each player doing all their stuff on their turn, the game moves back and forth. Everybody alternates moving units. Um, That's probably the biggest functional change. Uh, That is something that is used in bolt action, although not quite alternating. It's a little bit more random in in bolt action. But it does lead to more interactivity because you can't just roll your opponent and then they they lose the ability to respond because they've been alpha struck so hard. Mm Mm-hmm but on but besides that in the at least the base rules there's no stratagems there's no overwatch there's no real victory points everything is like there's objectives on the board whoever controls them at the end of the game wins there's no command yeah there's no command points nothing like that now they do have All of those things added, if you get the full rulebook, which I went ahead and subscribed to their Patreon, and so you get access to the full rulebook, and they provide, like, side missions to select, extra actions you can take, which include, like, Overwatch and uh, doing a defensive stance, Uh, they have battlefield conditions, they have objective events like hey remember how much mysterious objectives were fun we decided to make that an alternate rule (laughs) that's the one i'm never going to use they added brutal damage for doing like critical hits and system damage. if you want to have vehicles get glanced or immobilized again that's an alternate rule you can use again no but like command points are, are are part of the game and you ch- And you choose one of three doctrines, and that there's, like, some generic stratagems, and then you choose one of three doctrines, and that tells you what other three stratagems you have. So it's very compressed down. But again, completely, completely optional. The, the main thing here is also in the army builds, like, I mentioned the stat lines are very simple, and everything is special – like, defined special rules – um, also, units have a fixed size, like a, a squad of Battle Brothers, i.e. Space Marines, is five. If you want a ten-man squad, you buy two and combine them, but it's always five. You never, like, take anything in between. Everything is, like, there's no uh, Force Org, for example. You don't technically have to take a character if you don't want. Uh You can take anything you want in the build. There's no random charge distance. It's always 12 inches. And... One of the other things they have, which you really only get access to this if you, again, are a, a Patreon supporter, is they give you the rubric that they use to, to calculate points values for everything. Everything is generated because everything's based off of universal special rules. They can combine, like, the quality of the defense, what weapons are included, and what special abilities are on those, and then, like, figure out, like, certain special rules Increase the point value accordingly. And so you could, like, they tell you, it's like, if you want to make a custom character or even a custom army, like, here are the rules that we use to generate it. So, whereas, like, with Games Workshop, we've been trying to figure out for years, like, why does this unit cost this, but this <laughs> one costs that? Especially when you figure in all the special rules that can be layered on top of them. With one-page rules, like, they give you their math ahead of time. And remember, like, everything else that, like, you could do, like, stratagems, that's optional. We didn't take that into account. Use this at your own risk. The downside is that when I say factions have universal special – Like, they'll have a few special rules that get repeated on units. That's all they have. So, like, for example, Space Marines, like – they don't really have any any particular special rules and when you get to the the blood brothers the 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 dark brothers the you know gray <laughs> brothers like the blood brothers have the furious special rule which gives them an extra attack when they with one of their weapons when they attack and they tell you like if you want to upgrade a standard battle brother to be to have furious it costs this much extra and that's that's what makes them Act differently, which is kind of a throwback to the way you know it used to be, but like for example, battle sisters, they have a rule called devout that is on their units, and devout is well you're plus one to hit a target within twelve inches that's it that's what makes battle sisters different other than the units they can take that's it it doesn't really say anything about the army it's it's a name for mm-hmm. a rule, but it's it doesn't it doesn't tell me any flavor about it. And that's why I think where the game does fall down is if you want a game where – like, if you just want a game where you're, like, moving armies against each other and the armies have slightly different capabilities, sure, this is fine and it'll play quickly. The armies tend to be smaller because what would be 2,000 points in 40K is probably around 4,000 points in one-page rules. And uh, they recommend playing – like, they say, like, if you're going to play match play on this, like a tournament play, play at 2,000 points. So they're going to be small games. Mm Mm-hmm. But the downside is like there's like the armies don't have a lot of flavor. There's no special ability. It feels a lot like index 40K. There's also no unique characters and no ways other than using their own point calculator to build them. They do not even offer any analogs of like, yeah, this is Bobby G with the serial numbers filed off. They don't offer Mm -hmm. that at all. And they've said very clearly they don't want to because they don't want to step on anybody else's IP, despite the fact that everything is a, a clear analog. I mean, yeah. For example, if I go down through the, the units on uh, the, the Sisters of Battle units, um, uh, let's see, Battle Sisters, there is the High Sister, the Novice Leader, Fanatic Sisters, Novice Sisters, Battle Sisters, Vanguard Sisters, Sacrosanct Sisters, Pistolier Sisters, Assault Sisters, Support Sisters. Uh, They have a few new ones, Destroyer Sisters, Bike Fanatics, Bike Sisters. I wouldn't mind having Sister to Battle Bikers, I'll be honest. That would be kind of (laughs) cool. Paragon Sisters... A- the APC, the Infernal APC, the Organ Tank, the Battle Tank, the Assault Walker, and the Support Walker. So you can probably guess what a good number of those units are supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's that's nice and all, but it, it allows me to play most of my 40k or, or Sister's Army uh, as this. Oh, do you want to use of Vol? Well, they don't really give you a way to, to make her... Yeah. Do you want to play Celestine? Yeah, good luck. You might be able to cobble something roughly together, but not anything that's going to do what she does. And then, like even the uh, like the high the high sister. And like one thing I will say is, reading their army lists is hard because even yeah. though they don't have many stats, like the way they've done upgrades is here's table A. Here's table B, here's table C. This unit can use tables A, B, and C, but this one can only use A and B. This one uses A, F, and G. It is really hard at a glance to figure out what any particular unit can do. Um, But, uh, like, for example, the high sister, well, you can also upgrade her to be a priestess, a witch, a superior, or a canonist. And that just gives her a special rule. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it's like, and they give you like a little one or two paragraph fluff section to fit it into like whatever generic sci-fi story they're telling, but it doesn't really give you anything. So it's like, if you want that, that deep flavorful game, you will not get it from this rule set at all. Yeah.
1: (laughs) No. So the thing I will say about this that I really do like, because obviously like my, my issues with this is that it's just not as, it's not as in depth and that's not, that doesn't appeal to me as much. Um, The thing I do really like about this is I love the open source game design ideas that are in here, where it's like, no, here's here's under the hood, here's how we're doing this. If you want to build stuff for it, here's how you do that. The game design world space just needs more of that. Mm-hmm. It is efficient. Like It is an efficient game design. These games play quick. They're smaller games. I would absolutely love it if Warhammer went back to 1,500 points as like standard play. Like Smaller games that play quicker? No, absolutely. It would give
0: more variety on the table, too.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, like, I there are things about this that I really do like, and and very interesting designs. And again, like, not specifically like I don't know that I don't know that somebody like the games designer at, at GW or like subscribe to a one page rules Patreon to like crib ideas for the next version, but these ideas being out there in the design space will inform future games, which will inform future games, and you know and they all impact and and build off each other. Um, And I do like that. I do like that there's other game varieties out there, because I know I've said this a bunch, you know, uh, when especially referring to like RPGs and stuff, I like the fact that there's thousands of individual different RPG games out there. If you want to play this variety of space fantasy, you've got this game. If you want to play this variety of medieval fantasy, here's this. Like, I like that every game, well-designed games do things that they set out to do, very you know very well this game sets out to be more streamlined and play quicker and it absolutely looks like it does that so that is a successfully designed game it's not a game that i don't think i would enjoy it as much but again that's personal preference but it is good game design and i and i do i do appreciate that it is very good game design and it does what they want to do i just that's why like i don't love bolt like there's things about bolt action as a kind of an example like that i really love i love the alternating activations the the orders and stuff like that i don't like the fact that there's no granularity in like weapon profiles or in unit profiles it's like well they're all humans they're all using world war ii rifles okay well then why does it actually matter that i'm playing the italians and you're playing the british then like you know, like that, that's so. Like there's stuff like that. Like I like on a 40k table that, like, oh, I'm playing Tau. My Tau army has different profiles and different stats and different tactics than my Space Marine army, which uses different weapons and different tactics and stuff like that. Like I like that complexity. But again, that's personal preference.
2: I and I I don't disagree with you there. I think I think. One page rules uh, does have a little bit more granularity on weapons. There are definitely mm-hmm. different weapons that are in use. And like, for example, their ad mech equivalent, their weapons have like the radioactive rule that for can sure. cause spillover yeah. wounds if somebody rolls badly on defense and things like that. So I'm like, I think that's fine. I think there's mm-hmm. there's a little bit more of that. But, yeah, I'm kind of like I I like the concepts behind this and. There's a lot of like you'll see a lot of YouTube videos from people who are like, well, I'm I'm tired of playing the Warhammer 40K like upgrade game and dealing with all the rules and the bloat. So I I'm, I'm moving over to to one page rules. And if this is what scratches your itch for warga- for sci-fi wargaming, go for it. Absolutely. I do not let do not let anyone stop you from doing this and seeing if it's something that you enjoy. As for me, I think I would like something in the middle. I like the yeah. simplicity of this rule set, but as you pointed out, Ninth Edition is not that far from this. There's a few other like a few little tricks and nuance, but it's not that far from this as far as like how complex the rules are. The core rules for Ninth are fine. Mm-hmm. I and. Like, there are things that I could definitely see taking from one-page rules that I'd really like. Like, I'd love to see acti- alternating activation in 40k because I think it would fix a lot of yeah. the alpha strike issue. Like, there's a lot of issues with the game as currently played that would be fixed by alternating activation. A lot of the balance issues would, I wouldn't say be resolved, but would be mitigated somewhat by that. I I like the use of universal special rules. I miss them. I mm-hmm. miss having more standardized abilities. Think where I don't have to remember like all the different variations on something. If I just had like like if this unit just had explodes 6 up, explodes 5 up as a standard rule or, you know, again, fearless uh, you know, fearless in uh, feel no pain, like there there's just a number of things that we could just codify as this always operates the same way and it makes having those rare rules interactions like even easier to adjudicate because you're like okay well deep strike always interacts with this this way and feel no pain Mm -hmm. always interacts with this this way so in that sense i think one page rules that's why i say it feels like a, a fusion of fourth and ninth because yeah, it has, like, ninth yeah. ninth edition style gameplay, mm-hmm. but with a 4th edition uh, unit design philosophy, and then, like, do- streamlined down even more. And I do like having that under-the-hood show on how the points work. The downside, I find, is because to get the granularity they need to calculate the points out, you end up with weirdness like... Um, let's talk Imperial Knights real quick, cause they have what they call Titan Lords, which is... Yeah. their Imperial Knights, a Paladin Titan with a Titan Battle Cannon, the Fusion Rifle, a Stomp, and Titan Sword is 875 points. Compare that to... That's, like, over twice the cost of an equivalent, like, Paladin Knight, like a Knight Paladin. And if you wanted to add, like, a Missile Pod, or, like, let's say the the Icarus Auto Cannons to uh a pa- paladin titans like forty points or like a night night titan or knight paladins like forty points in forty k it 's one hundred and sixty five points on yeah. this list, so like you're going over a thousand points to to play a uh, a knight paladin with the uh, Icarus guns, so like I- the points' values are expanded, which either means you have to play like, a, again, like a 4,000-point game would be equivalent to a 2,000-point, but it's like, you're going to feel like, man, I'm. this seems way more points expensive. And maybe yeah. it means that we're under-costed in 40K and need more granularity yeah. there. I don't know.
1: No, I, I agree. Because, like, again, the design aesthetic of this entire endeavor is to, like, streamline and simplify the games and stuff. And one way to do that is, like, hey, the giant game-breaking robots just cost way freaking more. So, like... When, we're gonna, when, you, when you show up with your two units of Battle Brothers and I show up with a knight, yeah, it's a little bit more of a fair fight because I'm not showing up with three knights. You know, it's so, right. I, you know, I, I, I understand it. Like, every game, even if it's based off of the same thing, like, it, they, they will diverge at various points because they have different design goals and aesthetics. And that's fine. And again, I, I love the fact there's another game out there that people can play using their models that they've collected and built and painted. If this game scratches that itch for you, that's great. Like I, you know, that's that's great, and I and I I, I don't have any you know any issues with that like that's great for you. But I, I don't know. This seems a little. For me, it just it doesn't seem to scratch the itch that I want.
2: But right, I I do think I I honestly do think. That it goes too far, and I'd like something a little bit more in the mm-hmm. middle where you did have, like, a couple of army special rules, and I think I would make stratagems, like, at least the base stratagems standard and things like that. There's there's things I could do to, to like, hit a middle ground on this. Yeah. So if this – but the, if this isn't the solution, then are we ready for – like, the last time we had this level of complexity and bloat, we switched editions to 8th edition, did another hard reset. Are we ready for a hard reset? I, I personally no. don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. I,
1: again, so, the I, core
2: I, rules are fine. Dot
1: was,
0: five, yeah. A new reset, no.
1: There was, there was an, another, going back to, to the YouTube, going back to Arbiterian's YouTube channel, there's, there was one he put out a couple months ago called uh, Filthy Casual Play. And <clears> it's just kind of a one-page rule that he has for simplifying all of the pregame setup and, the, and some of the rules bloat in 9th edition and I actually really like that and I would love to see GW implement something like this. So basically it's just a one page PDF that he has on his uh you know that he that he had linked on his uh, Google Drive. So you basically at the beginning of the game you go through you muster your armies, you build your armies the same basically way you do now. You have two maximum of two detachments. You build your armies, you set whatever point level you want, etc. Um, there's an exception there for a couple things like Tempestus or Knights if you want to. You then determine you know the missions and you can use the open play deck or you can kind of randomly like select the missions. You generate your warlord traits and then you generate stratagems. So rather than like going through and picking all of your stratagems, you then like, okay, for every 500 points or 20 power rating of your army you generate a single stratagem. And you can do that two ways. You can either pick your stratagems or you can just draw them out of the deck. And if you draw one out of the deck that doesn't work, then you just replace it. But then you're limiting it. So like, yeah, like we're going to play a 2000 point game, we're limited to four stratagems. So I don't have to have the whole deck and it just kind of random draws it. And like things like the open play deck, which obviously you know kind of here, but we talked about previously like that helps. Like that can make some of, take some of the complexity away because you're like, "Oh, I draw this and it does this and it does this." And you're not having to do some of that mental load to get a game set up. We just have to encourage more people to use those formats and actually want to play those types of games.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and I – like, there were things about that. Like, if you picked a sub-faction, like, you could use that sub-faction stratagem in addition. But, like, all the stratagems yeah. were one use only instead of using mm-hmm. command points. And, like, if I remember right, like, no relics or you could use your sub-faction's relic, but that was it.
1: Yeah, um, uh, we okay. recommend relics that are ignored. But if you choose, if you choose to use them, uh, pick one from the list. You either pick one, or you, yeah. You know, if you use faction specific ones, yeah, you can you can use those. But like again, and and this is not like the only way to do this. This is just like, hey, this is my idea for how like how we could simplify some of these things, and like mm-hmm. getting formats out there to make the game like to, you know to, as he says here in like at the top. It is intended to speed up game setup and army construction, reduce the the reliance on invisible upgrades, combos, gotchas, quote unquote, by removing them from RB building process and providing a common standard for non competitive play. There's no reason GW couldn't do that themselves and make it official and create something similar to this. So you have your matched play tournament version of the game and then your matched play non tournament version, like that that doesn't have all the bells and whistles. So you know. It, maybe that maybe that creates additional complexity because then like you then have to mo- monitor multiple systems but i don't know like i feel there are ways that they can make ninth edition work easier than it currently does without having to blow everything up and and start over
2: and, and that gets me to the the third possibility like we've talked about like you know do you go to something really simple do we go to a brand new edition and the third possibility is, well, maybe we just need to ad- adjust what is and isn't allowed in matched play. Because, again, yes. that's how most pickup games are played. That's how tournaments are played. And it's like, should matched play be simplified compared to, say, like narrative play? Or, or could a lot of these elements be made more modular, more optional? Do we yeah. need to have quite as many options available Whereas like, if you want to get that, that fluffy, this army does exactly what it, you know, what it does in this story, you can Mm. do that. You just agree with your opponent and and, and right along the lines of what we've already discussed, like, okay, we're going to use like, let's use stratagems and, and relics in this game. But could like a lot of those options be moved to like narrative only or, or not recommended for matched play even like, like not recommended for tournament play.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. Like, there's a lot of those... Like, we, we talk about all the stratagems, like the 30, 40, 50 stratagem cards that come in a deck now, you know, in a new codex. Yeah, maybe only 10 of those need to actually be for tournament play. And the rest of them are just options if you want to play not, you know, com- matched play, but, you know, not not in a tournament setting. And like, yeah, I want to do the, the weird crazy combo here because, you know, summoning demons and doing this thing here is a cool thing. But yeah, in in a streamlined match play setting... That's game-breaking, so we're not going to include it. I would certainly be down for that option, I think.
0: I mean, it it sounds like the suggestion is like have a a tighter competitive, smaller amount Mm -hmm. of rules and stuff there. But more of it into what they, I guess, would call narrative play. And then Crusades, its own thing, because you're kind of air quotes still yeah. leveling up during that process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like the idea. And we're, well, this goes back to something I think we, when we try and separate friendly versus tournament, that's kind of mm-hmm. the thing we're talking about. But at the same time, until we see friendly take off or, or just people play more casually, big gatherings where people are playing other than just hanging out and playing with their friends. Mm. I think the majority of the people are going to focus on one, and that's going to become the norm, and it's going to trickle down.
2: No, I I, I agree, and with you're that. not wrong. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I totally agree. But but
1: I also think that GW doesn't, you know, GW is not a complete passenger in that either. Like if they decide to say, okay, in nine point five, here is match play tournament, match play casual rules, and then they just throw them out there and don't do anything to support it, everybody will play match play competitive because that'll kind of be what's supported and what's defaulted. But if GW continues to release and support rules for both of those, they can get people kind of to to play in those different camps. So I don't know. Like it's it's one of those things where like if they don't if they don't support it, then yeah, it'll it'll people it'll just go to what's supported and what the community wants. But you know, there are multiple people that play this game for different reasons. And yes, a big portion of them play it for competitive reasons and go to events and stuff like that. But there's also a lot of people that just like having the models and like rolling dice with their friends. So. Yeah, I don't right.
2: know. Um, well, and honestly, this like match play changes that kind of leans into the idea of like, what if Horus Heresy is the the upcoming competitive game, like you know where you mm-hmm. you simplify. Now, the my my one concern for that is that because Horus Heresy is based on the seventh edition rules, which we've already established, even at the core rules level, was not. The like because they had just kept adding and adding and adding and adding to it was like the heaviest form of the rules but by having the codexes effectively be almost identical because you're all like for the most part you're all space marines and then there's just a few one off units that are different it it does address that issue and again it's like showing the complexity especially now is leaning in at the the codex level and that is the one downside to going for this like hey let's say we come up with a simplified like we've balanced the game based off like the bare minimum functionality you need to play your faction and then everything else on top of that is optional rules that are layered, but not recommended for tournament play. The downside of that is you have to re-release every codex with that mentality mm-hmm. in play. And then Absolutely. keep in mind that you can't like, you have to write like your data sheets. So that like, okay, so like, for example, ever, like there's a whole bunch of units in the custodes codex. They have the martial kata keyword. Like they have the martial kata ability. Well, what if we got rid of the martial kata ability? Because, like, what they already do is basic and good enough. And then the martial kata is this optional ability. Well, now you have to say, okay, well, the data sheets say this. But if you're going to use martial kata, then these units get the martial kata keyword. It's like, you'd mm. almost have to have, like, a base abilities, narrative abilities section. It like I, And I am not a, a a layout designer, so I don't know what that would need to look like. But it's like I, I I wanna say that like the easiest way is to like to simplify it is just to do the thing and and kinda like cleave off the complex parts and make them optional. But the hard part is getting like you'd have to get every like you'd almost have to hit index index era two, you know, like redo yeah everything at once and keep the core rules say ninth edition the core rules are just fine it's what we've done on top of it that is causing these issues and we're doing a, like that's where your hard reset would be not a 10th edition although they might call it that yeah. sure but like 10th edition is ninth edition with newer codexes you
1: know well, that kind i mean of
3: thing.
2: we talked about like i think when we were
1: discussing the horse heresy stuff a couple weeks back like it seems like they've kind of settled into this two or three year cycle on editions anyway. So like we may be coming up on a 10th edition 40 K next summer, regardless, or, you know, in a, in two years or something. So, you know, maybe that is an opportunity for them to, to reset it and kind of change the design aesthetic. But one of the problems is the game is so big with so many factions that like you're, you're always going, when you change design aesthetics, you're always going to have that issue. Like we talked about earlier with the Tyranids where, yeah, this is only valid for a few months for you. Sorry, like, but we're changing it now, and like, that's there's no real way to avoid that.
2: I guess I don't know. No, there's there's
1: not. N-
0: not there's- to mention next time they do a reset, trying to get codexes for all the factions. I mean, how many yeah. times were we getting two codexes a month? Mm-hmm. And
1: yeah, that leads no, it's, that it's leads intense. to balance issues, and that leads to things getting missed, and you know it. So it does it does you know cause yeah, it
2: does build on itself and cause issues. So it's there is no good solution to it and i i think it it really comes down to as you said early on in this section talking about that change from third to seventh edition over time is that we have a habit of adding and adding and adding and it's very rare it's not it's not never but it's rare that we subtract yeah uh and that is never a painless process I mean, in
0: third edition, they subtracted the squats, and they're back! Nope. <laughs> well,
1: but, the, but that's just, I mean, that's a game design thing. Like, you're, you're, these are all, these are all companies that are trying to make, you know, trying to sell products and, and run a business. You sell business by selling, you make, you sell products by making new products. So you're constantly making the game more complicated over time. And, like, that's, yeah. D, you know, WotC does that with D&D, Magic does that with Magic the Gathering. Like, it's... GW does that with 40k like that's just a kind of a truism of game design is that even even if you go to like board games and stuff how many board games get you know here's a new supplement here's a new add on here's a new module for it like that's and you know
0: unless you're monopoly you just reskin it
1: sure hundreds
0: and millions of times. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, but, like, but even that, there's other, there's add-ons to play Monopoly different, like, you know, so it's, like, all even board games where we think of, like, oh, the rules for a board game are very streamlined and straightforward and don't change. Like, until they do. <laughs> until they do, because, like, with Settlers of Catan, for example, there's the core game, and then there's, like, 18 different add-ons to it that completely change the way the game is played. So it's, like... Again, that's just part of game design. These are companies that are trying to sell new products, and you sell new products by making new products. So it's – any game system over time is going to get more complicated until it it does eventually collapse under its own weight and needs to be reset.
2: So so basically, the problem is capitalism. I wasn't going to say that because we're not allowed to make political statements on the podcast anymore, but um Yeah. <laughs> Well, hey, I mean, I'm just saying, OPR gives away their rules for free, and they're free to do whatever they want. So obviously, the problem was the money making behind it, right? <laughs> but uh. no, it's yeah, I I don't think there's I, unfortunately there is no no good solution there that that will appease everyone. Like, because yeah. I mean, like right now we're coming at this from like three different like we have three different takes on it. Well, four if you include Richard just wanting to play the damn game eventually. <laughs> <laughs> wants to play a game, not picky about which one. Just yeah. wants to use his models <laughs> to play a game. <sighs>
0: uh.
2: But yeah, so is is 40, has 40K become too complex? Unfortunately, we don't have a consensus here either. Is it complex? Yes, no argument. Yes. Is it too complex? Uh, maybe maybe not depends on where you land on it is is there a one size fits all solution no but there are a number of paths you can go down and like right now uh it uh, maybe it is you know coming down to like applying a simplified version of open play or maybe it's going with one page rules or maybe it's just uh, focusing on that one army and getting as as deep into that army and not really bothering to to learn everything else about what everybody else is doing and yeah, uh, I wish I could give you uh, I wish we could give you a more concise answer to this problem but uh I'm sure there are plenty of other people trying to wrestle with just this topic on a great number of games anyway. So, 40K is just another one in the pile. And I think that takes us over to hobby progress and then uh the uh and then the morale phase. Hobby progress I have been painting Dark Angels. I have a lot of work done on the Deathwing detachment. I'm hoping to knock the rest of that at, out except maybe for basing. I'll probably do all the basing for everything at the same time. But uh I'm hoping to knock out all the rest of the painting on them this week and then start on Ravenwing next week, which will go a little bit faster because once I paint them black, that's half the job done. So uh but yeah, I, I have put all my personal projects on hold and I have like my pile of shame is is getting taller all the time. But I have I have charity work to do, so I'm I'm it's good work, it's honest work, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I have been working on Midwest Conquest stuff as well. Um actually I'm back in Kansas City for like the next week, so I've got uh some prize support things that i'm working on this week to try to finish painting glue together and all that and then when i go back um to phoenix i have to finish painting some terrain and stuff um and then a couple items that i want to print off and get ready but yeah basically it's just fully focusing on midwest conquest stuff and getting all that ready um because we have about we have about a month left
0: <laughs> yep Okay. For me, it's been uh, a lot of work. Um, <laughs> last weekend, I painted 30 models, and or put together and painted 30 models, so all of my Guardian Defenders and Rangers are done and ready for the Dallas Open narrative I'm going to this next weekend. Um, then I made the executive decision that this weekend I would be not doing any of that because I had other stuff going on and needed a break, so I did not do the um, Storm Guardians they're they're still not even put together and they're in a pile because then I also realized um, Midwest Conquest is a month away and I don't have one of my knights put together for it and I don't have anything except the Custodes put together or, I mean painted so um, I started working on that I actually got out my airbrush again um, and then it wasn't working and I was sad. And wow. so after disassembling it, looking at it, I was like, found out, oh, if I just take the needle out, it works. So it must be on the, I like, ran my fingers on the needle. I'm like, oh, uh, there's some little clunks on here. So I, I, I soaked the needle in some simple green for about a half hour and then cleaned it up. And I was like, oh, and airbrush worked again. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> so I got the nights I have put together, um, the base coat, um put on there because I've got my, I'm probably going to do a silver coat with black trim and because I think that looks really cool. I know that's the colors of the Raiders, but um mm. it's still a cool color scheme. Um, so yeah, I got that done and then past that, it's like I said, I have lots to put together, but I'm going to focus first on the last night and then it'll be painting. And then after I get the Midwest Conquest Army done, I'll probably go back and put the Storm Guardians together because they look a little sad all in pieces.
3: Uh, For me, well, work's been picking up, so I've been having some more hours uh, over the last few weeks, so... And Elden Ring is a really huge game, and I'm still not done with it. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: Almost done. But almost done, just not quite there. Yep. And I heard they they patched it and uh, fixed some of the quote unquote exploits, which I don't think were necessarily exploits, but made a lot of bosses harder by comparison.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> they went through and and did some balancing to a bunch of weapons and and but then like as a re- as some weird result like some of the bosses one boss in particular that was already like the hardest boss ever uh just has a bug now that means that they heal themselves all the time that's always good right right no. well and then there happen? was yeah and and then <laughs> and then there was another boss that they broke the opposite way where It's supposed to be, like, a pair of bosses that, like, share a health bar, and the the health bar actually kind of represents, like, essentially four of them, and you have to kill all four of them as it goes along. And they broke it to where, like, as soon as you kill one of them, like, the whole rest of the boss bar disappears, and then you've won. (laughs) (laughs) Whew,
2: um, yeah, yeah. So, I think they're going to have to go back to the drawing board on a couple of those. <laughs> yeah. Speaking
1: of uh, games being difficult to balance.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see, we've got our, our Sunday announcement of what's coming up for Praetor next week. Necromunda Ash Wastes, the new Mad Max-style Necromunda book ah. and uh, box set come out. Tangentially related to uh, 40k, but... Probably, unless you are a, a diehard uh, Necromunda fan, I don't know if this is definitely going to be anything to be hyper excited about. But if you are a Necromunda fan, you are probably all over this. So it does look cool. It looks very cool. I do like the terrain and the yeah. vehicles yeah. and stuff. Like it's cool stuff. And then that takes us to the morale phase. And I wanted to talk about a little game that's been eating up a lot of my time when I'm not been painting. Just it's a nice break from painting because it's something that can be played in small. Small Bursts, and that is a game called Vampire Survivors. It is available on Steam. Uh, there's also actually a uh, like a website playable version. I want to say like Newgrounds was where it, or itch.io. I'm trying to remember where it... Yeah, it's itch.io, because I just did a search for it. Yeah, if you go to uh, punkle, P-O-N-C-L-E dot Vampire Survivors is playable there in your browser, but you can also buy it on Steam. It is a whole whopping $3 on Steam. And it is basically what if somebody combined Castlevania with a bullet hell shooter, except you're the one being the bullet hell shooter, (laughs) like you're doing all the bullets. It is a game where like you pick a character and it starts off with there's only like one or two characters selectable or maybe even just one character. It's been a while since I've started the game fresh. And Mm. as you play, like it starts out really simple. You have one weapon and you there are a few very easy to kill enemies and you don't have like all you do is move around your weapons automatically attack on like a particular timer and certain like weapons have different areas that they hit and you kill enemies and sometimes those enemies drop XP crystals you pick up the XP crystals and you level up when you level up. You can select, like, a list of potential upgrades will come. Sometimes there'll be new weapons. Sometimes there'll be new items. Sometimes they'll level up existing weapons or items you have. And you just pick one from the menu and you keep going. You have six slots for weapons and you have six slots for items. And you basically, it's random which items you get presented so every playthrough is going to be different Uh, there's multiple levels that you can unlock to play through but as you play through the enemies get tougher they get more and more of them will swarm on the screen um, and there's a timer up at the top of the screen ticking up to 30 minutes once you hit 30 minutes that's when death shows up and just kills you Although supposedly there are certain builds that will allow you to kill death but the idea <laughs> is you want to play through the game and as you like as you level up weapons or if like if you survive with a character on, for like let's say survive with this character for 15 minutes it unlocks an achievement which may unlock that char- like that character's weapon for everybody else to get randomly and in addition there's combinations of weapons and items like what like each weapon will have an item that if you have that item and then level up that weapon all the way eventually it will unlock the super version of that weapon which might have no cooldown or might do way more damage or maybe it fires a Uh, Like, there's one where, like, it fires in a uh, projectile that bounces around the screen, and when you level it up all the way, that projectile explodes when it stops bouncing around. Um, And it can get really intense, because, like I said, the enemies will swarm you, and, like I said, the layout, like, what weapons, the loadout that you get tends to be random, so you might end up with an absolutely crap loadout. And die horribly early on or you might end up looking upon the perfect combination to just breeze through the whole level but it because you're playing these short like 10 15 up to 30 minute loops it's it's addictive in the way that games were addictive before microtransactions (laughs) they weren't predatorily addictive but it's it's a lot of fun uh, it plays well with keyboard, mouse, uh gamepad. I've played with all three cuz like I've like I've got on my laptop upstairs cuz it's on my Steam account. So like on my laptop upstairs I'm playing with with just my keyboard cuz you're just using like the arrow keys or the the WASD keys to to move around or I've got my gamepad plugged into my uh my gaming rig. And so I'm play through on that and like I said there's no button interaction other than you can pause the game and selecting which upgrade you get but that's it and then there's also things like there will be certain enemies that are high like that are either bigger or that have like a little aura around them if you kill them they'll drop a treasure chest and that treasure chest will drop coins and 1 to 5 if you're 5 if you're really lucky 1 to 5 upgrades to things you already have and uh that money is then also how you unlock it's It kind of goes a bit roguelike where there are permanent upgrades to your character. You can buy, like, more health, more health regen, doing more damage. Um, and that's also how you can pay to, like, as you progress through the game, you open up the opportunity to get more characters. But then you also have to pay gold to unlock them. But again, no microtransactions. It's just all gold that you earn in-game doing the normal gameplay cycle. So... Um, there's a lot to unlock, and not even everything has been released. The game is technically in early access. Uh, so 18 of the 24 playable characters are available right now. Six of the 10 possible stages are unlocked right now. So more will be coming over time. But again, it's three bucks to get the game. And it is it is just fast, brainless, stupid intense like old school gaming fun. I cannot recommend it enough. Like <laughs> I, I, and like I can't imagine it's gonna be long before something like this is like ported over to like uh switch. I don't n- think it's been ported over to and yeah right now it is it's just on Windows and Mac OS. Um it was initially obscure and released but by late January of this year it had over 30,000 concurrent players it has in february it peaked at 700 or at uh, 77,000 concurrent players and yeah it's like every gameplay is different people will come through with different strategies find different characters because every character not only do they have a particular weapon but they've also got like a particular buff that only they have and so like you will find Different things that appeal to different it, it's one of those like there's something for every every kind of gamer if you like this kind of gaming at all, you will find something for you that you enjoy and it's just somebody somebody put together in their spare time on itch and uh became ridiculously successful with so this it it, it is pure fan driven gaming totally cribbed from Castlevania. Cause like the weapons are all like, there's the ax and the cross and the whip and holy water. It's like, it's all stuff that you'd recognize from Castlevania. So it's, and the sprites are, we represent, but are legally distinct from the characters in Castlevania. It, it, but it's fun. It, it, it is a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. So yeah, vampire survivors on steam or itch.io. Uh, you can play a play for free on itch. You can own it on steam and, uh, just have a lot of fun, nice. And I think th- that wraps us up for episode two hundred and fifty eight, two hundred and fifty nine. Will be coming in a couple of weeks, and uh, it won't be Gene Steeler Colts because I promise that's in June. That's in June, so we'll have we'll have something else to talk about then. But uh, until then, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm your host Rob, Kevin, Dennis, and Richard. Good night, good gaming, and however complex you feel 40k is, there's a way to play that you'll enjoy.